What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to Retired to Hunt. Man, I got my dog back. Matter of fact, this is the first repeat guest. And another matter of fact, we tried to do this a couple months ago. Wasn't able to get it done. Some technical difficulties, probably on my side. But before we jump right into it, I don't need to introduce this guy. He's already been on. Y'all know him. Y'all have heard him. Very serious, passionate outdoorsman. Very, very good football player. Real good friend of mine. Brandon Linder's here. But uh, before we hop into it, let me do some uh, some house cleaning stuff and take care of some of these people that's taking care of me, man. And, and keep in mind, guys, that I'm not going to plug these companies because they've given me stuff because that's just not how I get down. I'm plugging these companies because I think that this is some of the stuff that you need to add to your arsenal to help you be a, a better, more efficient hunter, whether that's laying more stuff on the ground or at least being more comfortable when you go out and you're eating tag soup, right? But some of those companies are King's Camo, man. Vortex Optics, Apex Next Evolution Supplements, Kafaru Backpacks, Iron Wheel Broadheads, Taito Knives, and Tacticam, man. Y'all go check all those guys out. I promise you, man, it's going to it's gonna help you out there in the field. But I'm going to go ahead and jump right into it with my buddy Brandon Linder. And uh, I think we got some fishing stories first because y'all know how he gets down, man. South Florida guy. The guy's all, the, all time out on the water, man. He just got back from a trip. It looked like it was in the Keys. And this is going to be a great story to tell because I actually haven't heard from him about this trip yet. So this is going to be all organic, all fresh off the dome. I can't wait to hear about it. Brandon Linder, what the hell's going on in South Florida, man? How you doing, buddy? Oh. And I'm outstanding, man. Very nice. Yeah, no, just got back from uh, Island Morada. Spent three days down there with two of my good buddies, Danny Adams and Vinny Morrow. And uh, we, uh, it was, this was the first time that all three of us have gotten together in a long time. So it was a great, great reunion. Uh, my buddy Vinny's back home from the UK. He's been living over there for the past three years. And yeah, so it was a great trip. Did, did a lot of diving, a lot of fishing. Uh, we were able to put together, you know, we had two days of, of uh, you know, hardcore fishing and diving. And uh, in those two days, we were able to put together a, a nice cooler at the end of the day, nice cooler of fish, you know, a, a variety, a little variety. Um, so, yeah, it was good. So I saw that you uh, you guys had the, the boat there, and uh, I'm assuming it was Key Largo, Isla Mirada, the same spot where we left from. Uh, were you guys fishing in the Keys, or did you go across or what? No, so we stayed in the Keys, uh, we, same spot where we left from the, the time we went to the Bahamas, um, and left out of there, and we were actually staying on that property. I don't know if you remember that property. There was that cottage on the, uh, there was that cottage there. That's where we were staying, so it was great. I mean, to be able to go in and out of that little cove right there in the bay, I mean, it's a five-minute run to the first bridge that I could run under, um, and then boom, you're out, in, you're out in the Atlantic, and, and yeah, we did a lot of fishing, a lot of diving. The first day we got down there and once we got the boat, you know, loaded up and unpacked, um, cause it was a, we left about late morning. I mean, you got to beat that South Florida traffic. You either got to beat it or you got to leave after it. So we didn't leave till about probably 845, uh, from Miami, which only an hour and a half drive down, down to Island Mirada. And so about once we got situated, everything loaded up, we were, we were motoring out. It was around probably 1245, 1 PM. Which now, I mean, shit, the sun's going down at like 8.15, so you still got, I mean, a good six hours. And you can do a lot in that six hours. And, uh, and we did that. We did that. We, we dove first. And, you know, I've been, we've been on this free dive kick. Uh, we've been training, diving, diving deeper than I've ever dove before. So now it's cool. And we've been doing that on the line, line diving. That's more of like your training, right? And so now... Now we're free diving and we're, and we're spear fishing. We got spear guns in hand. So 
now it's blending those two practices together. And it was cool to see that because that was the first time that, that, you know, I was spearfishing since doing all this training. So, um, really enjoyed that. I definitely saw a difference in my diving, in my bottom time, my breath hold, um, the depths I was diving at, um, just felt very comfortable. And, and I'm excited to really hone in on some of these techs, techniques, you know, blending the two. And uh, yeah, so, and my buddy Vinny was killing it. Danny was killing it. We didn't shoot any fish because, and it, honestly, it's sad, it's sad to say this, but man, I have seen such a decline in the reefs, in the, in the health of the reefs. I mean, in Island Marada, down by Duck Key, I mean, up by Black Point, which is like just south of Miami. And I mean, you, I don't know what to attribute it to. I mean, I think global warming, that's, that's serious. That's real. I think all the pollution, all the runoff from, from the streets and all the stuff that's running off into, into our bays and our estuaries and in our rivers, which everything dumps out in the ocean. I mean, it, it you definitely saw a difference in it. And, and what do I mean by that? It was like, um, everything looked real, like dull and almost dead. And there was like this layer of, I don't know, like slough or like just decay. It wasn't the vibrant reefs that I, that I was used to. Wow. So, you know, what's, uh, speaking of the, the decline and how it could be attributed to some of the stuff that we as humans are putting in the water, you know, I was down there with you. I guess it was early April and we were riding around with a good buddy of ours, Marty Williams. And he was talking about that article that he read about uh, all those redfish that, uh, you know, they kind of were doing uh, inspections on all over the state of Florida, I believe it was. And, um, you know, I think he said, and maybe you can attest to this more than me. He said something, something along the lines of 90 something percent of the redfish that they tested had, uh, what, what, what kind of medications was it in their body? You remember you were telling us about that? Yeah, I don't remember exactly the medications, but I know something that we deal with a lot, and especially on the Gulf Coast, is red tide. Okay. And that that's like has a lot to do with uh, all, the, all the runoff, and especially in certain areas um, that are dumping into, again, the, the, the Tampa Bay, like especially on the Gulf Coast, like Tampa Bay area. It's an area called Piney Point. There's a bunch of runoff that, that goes into the uh, into the bay. And all this fresh water, it creates this big uh, algae bloom. And this algae then then is taking the oxygen from the bay, which is, you know, there's current in there, but it's generally more stagnant of the water. So this, algae's, this algae blooms and it chokes out all the oxygen. And in doing so, it kills a lot of fish. And it's a huge problem. I mean, it is a, a huge problem. And there's, and it's all man-made. It's stuff that, that we've been doing. I mean, we've cut off the natural flow of the Everglades um, with Lake Okeechobee and, and damming up Lake Okeechobee. So that way, you know, everything south and west and east of the lake, I mean, it's very fertile grounds, right? That's where all the big sugar is and, and uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of produce, corn. Um, so, I mean, we've cut that that natural flow of the Everglades, like how it once was. So, and doing all these things, man, I mean, we, we are seeing, uh, the ramifications of it. And I think, I mean, and there's, I think there is things that we can do to stop the bleeding. Uh, but you know, it kind of almost feels a little helpless, um, and hopeless, but I mean, obviously you still gotta, you still gotta to do your part and, and, and fight for it. But yeah, there's a lot of shit going on in our waters that, can be prevented um that's that we're doing 
So you were talking about uh, the algae, and I'm a big, uh, just like you, man, I'm a big animal nerd, and I watch a lot of nature documentaries and so on and so forth, especially about the ocean. That that shit fascinates me. Uh, and I want to say that I watched one the other day, and it was talking about exactly what we're talking about, about the reef dying. And I want to say that too much algae on the reef can kill the coral. Uh, apparently the, the coral rely on those, the small algae eating fish to keep them relatively free of the algae. Uh, so, you know, I'm not sure if it's an oxygen thing or whatnot. And again, I'm not a biologist. I'm just going off of a, of a Nat Geo documentary. You know what I mean? But, That's uh, Sir David Attenborough narrated. At, come on, man. You already know Attenborough. He's the best, The best man. voice. Best He's voice. A, in t- I mean, are you kidding me? You know, it's between him and uh, what's his name? Oh, Morgan Freeman, man. That dude can tell a story too. Are you kidding me? Morgan Freeman. <laughs> Come on, man. Don't get me fired up. But uh, yeah, I mean, who knows what what it is that's that's killing you know the, the oceanic life, you know the the reef, the fish. Who knows what it is? But it's a sad deal, man. Uh, especially because you would be able to see it, right? As many times as you've been down there doing it, I mean, it's probably pretty easy for you to tell, you know, that that it's in decline. Yeah, I mean, I've, again, I've been doing it my whole life, and I mean, we talk about it, like, even even from when we were in high school, um, and let's see, what is that, 12, 14, 15 years ago, um, there's a huge difference. I mean, there really, really is, and we dove two different places this trip. We dove off Island Marotta and off of Duck Key, and I mean, did we see fish? Yeah, I mean, we saw, we saw, you know juvenile hogfish and juvenile black groupers and i actually went down it was like about 40 45 feet and i had a good stock on a on a keeper black grouper and then he started playing this game where he's kind of slowly going away from me and i'm kind of slowly trying to close it and then it's like all right well my oxygen's starting to <laughs> to deplete yeah. so i took i took a shot a little bit of a far shot missed some uh but that was the only shooter fish that i had a chance at and honestly that i saw wow. and I just, I, I don't know. It just didn't, it just didn't, the reefs did not look healthy to me. And I've grown up uh, diving these reefs and, um, you know, I'd, I'd like to have seen more, more fish too. Um, yeah. And I mean, I, I think there's so many people that are out there fishing and diving and I think that's great. Right. But it's obvious. I mean, there's pros and cons to it. I think COVID also, you know, was a big, was a big event that got people outside, got people in the outdoors, which is great, right? But selfishly, it's like, damn, you know, more people are fishing, more people are hunting, right? More people are hitting public lands. Um, so I don't know. I mean, there's obviously a, a beautiful natural balance that that is in play, and but that's that was just my findings of this trip. Um, so we didn't shoot nothing, and you know, all good. We were able to get in the water, practice our diving, and man, I love I love free diving. And then, you know, either all day, mainly it's about half, half of the day. And then, you know, we'll go fishing or vice versa. We'll fish first and then dive. But you really feel like, uh, like this washed out feeling at the end of the day, or even when you get out of the water, it's like, it's like almost like being high, right? It's like, just, just, just this, like, ah, just like this, you're so relaxed. You're so calm. And cause you gotta be in the water and, and you gotta be in this almost meditative state, but also being in the water, like water is so healing and, and to unweight yourself, you know what I'm saying? And to feel that pressure on you, like, I think it does wonders for a body and for, you know, if you're spending all day on a boat, right? Like I, I can tell such a difference between being on a boat all day fishing versus being on a boat all day and, and break up the fishing with some diving because 
your body's not as sore at the end of the day, right? Just because of the fact of getting in the water, moving around that fluidity, you know, uh, just unweighting yourself, you know? So, so that was, that was awesome. And then, yeah, then we went and we went fishing, uh, the goal was deep dropping. So that's, you know, anywhere from 500 to 900 feet of water. We're using electric reels, heavy weights with, with chicken rigs, you know, squid, squid on one hook, bonita on another or barracuda. You know, you want to change up, change the baits up. Um, and we caught, you know, in the two days, we caught a couple uh, snowy grouper, uh, a couple blue line tiles, a couple rosies. And then in doing so, running from spot to spot, we're out there in the Gulf Stream. And right now the mahi are, you know, really thick. I mean, there's a lot of weed lines off our coast right now. And there's a lot of schools of mahi. There's been a bunch of reports. So, you know, bouncing from spot to spot, you could take advantage of that. And, you know, being up in the tower in my boat, such a vantage point, you can find these mahi. And yeah, one day we caught seven, seven where we didn't have to measure it. So they were good fish. And then um, the next day we caught three. But I mean, we shit, we fished probably eight different schools and you know over a couple hundred mahi but they were all just schoolies small ones you know you're trying to trying to weed through it so it was a good trip man it was a good trip so i saw you uh you caught some blue line tile fish is that uh that's a deep drop fish right correct yeah okay. deep drop fish very tasty almost almost tastes like lobster like wow yes very good honestly most of these deep drop fish are some of the best table fare because they're, they live in such cold, cold water at those depths. That water temperature is, is, is as cold as it's going to be, especially being in South Florida. I mean, when you bring these fish up, uh, you could touch them. And I mean, they're, you know, they have, they have a cold temperature to them. Um, so I think they're some of the best table fare. I mean, last night, Lauren and I, we cooked some snowy grouper, baked it and, um, and some uh, some salad, and then just some broccoli, a little white rice. You know, keeping it simple. And that you know, a fish like that, it's just that delicious and that delicate of a meal. You don't need a whole lot, man. Put you some salt and pepper on that thing and let it eat. I mean, that's because I remember when we went out and uh, we were pulling up some of those. Uh, what is it, yellow eye snapper? Yellow eyes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just outstanding table fare, man. And like you said, you pull them up from however many you know the the reels, those electric reels. They count by revolutions, not technically feet correct but i mean you pull that thing up from what with 1400 1200 revolutions deep you know and those fish are co i mean it's it's just a whole different deal than standing on the bank with a bobber in a court catching uh catching bluegill on bed you know it's, yeah. a, it's a little bit different deal but uh i agree 100 percent, man about a lot of stuff you just said about the healing properties of being in the water man uh there's just something about being out there uh and and experiencing that and being out on the water especially when you're out so far that you can't see any land i mean it's just a, it's a cool feeling man and uh you know i think it's probably more so adrenaline because just knowing the fact that if something goes wrong things aren't going to be good maybe that's what it is maybe it's just it's that but it's just something about rocking on that boat the sun being out and just i don't know what it is but i agree man that that water's healing but i'll tell you something else that's healing it's seeing the old strutting gobbler coming up an old road towards that decoy man that that that's healing and uh it was fun, man. Uh, when you came up, I guess it was not too long ago, probably a month, maybe less than a month when you came up, we went on our little tour and uh, we had a good time. And uh, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and just let you take it away because some of the things that happened on this trip, I mean, it just gets it gets better and better every time we go, man. Well, I mean, I think 
do we start? We I think we got all talk. the way from the airport. You got to set it up. Well, I think I mean we got to talk about Florida first, right? I don't oh, we... th- yeah, go yeah, absolutely. Take it away. <laughs> I don't think we talked about Florida. No, man. we ain't talked about Florida. We tried to, and the whole damn episode <laughs> got shit canned because of technical difficulties. <laughs> we we came up with some good stuff on that episode. But we'll oh to, man, we'll just have to recreate that. But no, Florida. I mean that was that was cool. You came down, um, went to Billy's and had had a damn good time um shit i rolled in super late at night remember because you were bitching oh yeah i rolled in late yeah, at I night bitching, Go ahead. i was bitching at you i don't you know that guy i mean right, I, yeah, yeah. you know i gotta work with what you give me and that's fine i'll do it and i'll make it work all right and then and we did that but uh, yeah we got well, that's right we got in real late we then we went uh got down there probably 1 a.m and then woke up shit sunrise is probably around 6 30 Got out there. Now, where I'm trying to remember where we started that morning. Because I think. Uh, we started where I killed that second bird last year. Remember, we stood oh, oh, yes, on the yes, other side of the road. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we were successful. Yeah. yeah. First morning, we were successful. Yeah. You know, these birds, it's kind of cool. I've been on this property now for the past five years. And, and I've been able to really see what these birds do historically. And, and, you know, even as the property changes, like these birds will still do the same thing. Um, so you, if you really tap into that and you see these patterns, I mean, uh, you can really cash in. And it was cool because I didn't even, I wasn't even running cell cams or nothing this year. I was just going off of that information. I had a lot going on in February and early March. So I just relied on that and just the little scouting I did in this one particular block of woods where we set up. Um, it was this transition from a clear cut. And then we had some some long leaf pines, and then there was this this live oak bottom, this little bottom that kind of ran through this this block of woods. And I know that they historically would like to roost past that that live oak bottom. And these there's some tall tall long leaves, some real mature long leaf pines behind there. And what they like to do is there's two different roads that come out of there. Normally they'll they'll hit the ground uh, from the roost and then they'll you know walk their way out and they seems like they want to they want to get out to that clear cut in the morning put on a show uh, you know that's where the pecking order everyone's trying to figure out especially that early in the season that's still going on so we set up in this block of woods kind of in between these two roads and but favoring one road that I've had success on that they like to walk out on and we. We heard two different birds gobbling, and they were they were where I was hoping they were going to be. You know, and they sometime. weren't they weren't going nuts or anything, but they were no. gobbling. No, they gobbled shit. They gobbled four or five times, maybe, yep. then shut up, and then they hit the ground, and you know nothing. I gave gave a couple sequences, but other than that, I shut up. And remember, I told you I was like, you know, we're good. Nothing's going to come behind us because that's where the clear cut is. You know, we're good to the front and to the left, but man, I really don't like, I really don't like if anything comes to the right, because we're kind of fucked. And, um, and actually that's why I had that strutter on my, I was on the, I was sitting on the right of you and I had the strutter stood in the ground pretty much like as a, as a damn blind blocking me just in case one was to walk. Cause that was kind of where that, that oak drain runs through. So I had one there just in case. So the morning progresses probably 30 minutes after sunrise, about 30 minutes after they flew down. Um, I think we had a hen answer us. And all of a sudden, you know, we heard, we heard, 
right? Close. So, yeah, here in Sapatin, and where was it coming from? Freaking to our right. So I'm like, you got to be kidding me. But they, you know, they saw that strutter. They didn't see us because we were behind it. And we had a nice little palmetto blind. We were brushed in nicely. And thank God it was four jakes because that would have been interesting if if you had to, if that was a, if that was a gobbler and he was coming in or what, if you had to shoot, because I was to the right of you and you swinging to the right. I mean, that would be, that would be pretty tough. Buddy, um, I don't think we would have got it done if that's the way it would have happened. No, Unless he would have filtered out in front of us, which I don't, if that would have been a Tom and he saw the guy, I don't, it, it would have been no, rough. He'd, he'd, have been tough. Came straight, he'd have came straight at us. I'd have probably had to grab him by his ankles and freaking snap his neck with my bare hands. But yes, you know, that'd be my second time doing that. But, um, <laughs> um, um but so the jakes they kind of just eased off and they made their way out in that clear cut i mean they i don't think they were scared they you know they were kind of just i mean you can call it a nervous putt but they didn't run they didn't like keep standing there putting they just kind of eased off and they made their way into the clear cut and i looked at you and i was like as soon as they are gone we, we need to move across the road I mean, i mean just 50 yards you know from where we are and just set up because exactly to what you know we talked about i didn't i didn't like where we were because of that and and they and that showed so as soon as they they we knew they were gone we jumped up and made our way across the road and into this exactly the same tree where you killed last year um in the afternoon because same thing they funneled back through that clear cut and, and go back to roost um so we we hopped across the road got reset and I think we sat there for probably another hour and I was just doing, you know, some soft calling, just some sequences every 10, 15 minutes. And all of a sudden, oh, freaking there he is. He answers. And he was exactly coming from that, that drain uh, where those jakes were. So if we would have stayed there, that would have been bad. Um, I really do think so. Like we just talked about. So, I mean, we couldn't have been in a better situation because, he was either going to hop out on the clear cut road and, and walk to that intersection, or he was going to do exactly what he did and walk that oak, that oak drain and then see the decoys on the road. And, and that would be it. And I mean, we could not have been a better hit, man. We were tucked away. We had so much in between us. I mean, you would never pick us out. And uh, what would you call him? The shadow gobbler, the shadow gobbler, man. And, and here's why. So Brandon was sitting on a tree that was, just far enough away from me that while he was whispering, I could hear his voice, but I couldn't really hear what he was saying. So that bird was going nuts over there in that block and he shut up and I got fired up for that, you know, just off of my experience last year in that same exact block of woods. Uh, a lot of times when they go quiet, they're making some kind of move and you're hoping it's towards you. Right. And uh, all of a sudden, Brandon Linder, I hear him whisper something, but it, the way he did it, it was very intense. And I'm like, he sees that bird somewhere. So I start to cut my eyes, looking around, looking around. And sure enough, right behind the decoy, this thing just emerges from the darkness in a bad attitude. I mean, just, you can check out the, the tactic cam footage on my IG, but the thing just appears out of nowhere, full strut. He would have ran up and attacked the decoys, but guys, that was my first bird of the year. So I didn't give him the time to do it. Uh, so he got about three or four foot from the decoys, and I let him have it. But all his, his intent was was to beat up that Jake decoy for sure. There's no doubt about it. He was in a bad mood. Yeah, that was that was really cool, and that was it was really cool. The game we had to play with him because you know he was gobbling, and 
man, it sounded good. When they gobble in the woods like that, especially them Osceolas, it sounds so good. I mean, you could feel it on the ground. You could really, truly feel it when they're gobbling on the ground. And he stood there and gobbled for uh, – he must have gobbled probably 30 times. Yeah, and, maybe more than that. Yeah, and he was hung up. And, I, you know, could he have seen the decoys? Maybe. And I, I don't know. But, uh, you know, he he was like, all right, I, I've, I've gone far enough. Like, you you coming to me now. So – that's when, like, I I'll like to shut up, and then I'll, I'll I'll like to scratch leaves, act like I'm a hen scratching. You know, it's just like a scratch, scratch. You know, they get the pecking, right? Scratch, scratch, they get the pecking. Another thing you could do is, you know, you could have stayed there, and I would have started like crawling or get up and start walking, like draw a line from where that turkey's gobbling through you, and go, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 yards, and, and continue my calling because then it. He thinks I'm leaving, right? He's going to suck him in that next 20 so you can kill him. But we ended up just shutting up, scratching. I mean, and we had about a probably a five-minute, uh, you know, break there where he was not gobbling. And it's always like, like you know he's making a move, and it, but you also like, damn, like, you know. Because sometimes they'll freaking just Houdini, and you know, they, they leave scratching your head. But I remember I whispered, was that the decoy? Um, and, Yeah. And then I thought you were going to let him come in and flog it. But, yeah, you weren't playing around. You were. Yeah, I wasn't playing around. As soon as he gave me the opportunity, he turned that fan away because he had a beautiful full fan. And as soon as he gave me that shot at his head, I, I was not going to waste any time because, man, I wanted to go ahead and get the skunk out of the boat, get me another Florida Osceola, and uh, get to trying to get another one. Because, you know, as I usually do – actually, you know what? As you usually do, you know, I gave you a short window, you know, just like last year so – you know, I wanted to get make sure I got both of my birds, or at least give it a damn good try. So, you know, we got uh, we got that bird, and we had a you know a nice hour of just sitting back and reflecting. And I think that's super important. You know, to just you know, it's not a numbers game. Of how many can I put in a truck? It's man, I just killed a turkey. Uh, you know, let's sit back, soak it all in. You know, talk about it. What, what did we learn? What did we do wrong? Uh, in this case, what did we do right? Because there wasn't a whole lot done wrong on this particular turkey. I think. Uh, you know, this was a story of, of you and your knowledge of the bird, your knowledge of uh, of that particular block of timber and what we needed to do to uh, put ourselves in the best position to get him killed. Yeah. And then I think from there, we, we, what did we do? We got on another hunt, but I can't remember. I think something went, something happened because. Uh, so. I... Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. I know we got on another bird that day, but we did not kill because remember the next morning is when you, when you killed your second bird. So we did something. Oh, so we checked another couple fields, and then we went over to Billy's to the main piece over there, and uh, we ended up seeing the birds in that pasture. We tried to fan them, but didn't that bird just end up walking off? Remember right oh, there yes, on the fence? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, he was interested. You probably could have shot him. And looking back now, I think you, I think you could have, but we just, I was like, I, I don't know. I, I thought he was going to cross that fence and come in. That's right. And then, uh, but he ended up easing off and then we were done. I think we went back out that afternoon, if I'm not mistaken, we didn't have any success there. And then we went frog gigging that night, right? Mm-hmm. Went frog gigging, which was incredible. I mean, we almost got stuck. We're, we're on oh. uh, these sand roads in Florida. We're sugar centers in his. Yeah, we're in the sugar sand, and he's got his F-350 pointed 18-foot prodigy behind it, and we're going uphill, you know, which is not a good uh, uh, formula 
uh, to success there, but we were able to, uh, you were able to, to get us up there, get to the pond. And also it's good to know this pond didn't have a boat ram now. I mean, this dude backs this boat down 18 foot boat, just backs it off the bank <laughs> into this pond and, and we get a couple frogs and it, that was some old school stuff. Took me back to East Tennessee. It was a hell of a time. And then the next morning we went in and uh, we weren't hearing anything. Remember? Yeah. Didn't hear nothing. Very slow morning. So we ended up moving. Uh, we had seen some birds there, you know, there's a bunch of pastures I have access to. Super foggy. Super, super yeah, foggy. That's right. Yep. Yep. Uh, and there's a lot of patch pastures I have access to. And some of these birds will call what we call them pasture pimps. They like to hang out there and they could be, they could be tough. I mean, they could be real stubborn, but we ended up, we ended up crawling. That was probably around 9:30 AM. So a little bit later, we ended up crawling up to the edge cutting through these woods, crawling up. I got a little sneaky trail that I, that I always use. And we got up to the edge of this woods and there was, there was four different gobblers in this field two of them on either end of the field strutting with their little harem of hens. Well, let, let's walk it back real quick. So when we left from there, I was kind of nervous. I'm like, damn, like today might be a, a dead day. We ain't going to hear nothing. And you looked at me and said, yeah, all right, listen, I know a pasture where they're going to be in. I'm thinking, yeah, all right. So they're going to, any, anytime somebody says that, they probably ain't going to be there, but go ahead. No, but they were there. They were there and they were hammering. They were, they were so far. You, you, you would see them gobble and you, and then you can like just barely hear them, but you'd see them stretch that neck out. <sighs> trying to gobble um but yeah we we sat up you got set up and i kind of i tried to kind of crawl away from you not in front of you and get to the edge of this of this fence row so i can so i can show show them that strutter because i mean you can call it numbers all you want you're not going to kill them they're not going to come they got their hands out there you know so the last tool in my toolbox is to show them show them that strutter so that's what we did and I crawled out there on my, on my belly. You got set up perfectly. Um, I think there was a bunch of bunch of palmettas you were sitting around. So, I mean, you were yep. perfectly. And originally I was trying to, I was, you know, I'd call and kind of turn that fan and spin it around, show them the back of it. And, um, I mean, these birds are 300 yards away. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was going after <laughs> the, the two to our right. I, I mean, they were closer, but that dude just stood up on the hill and just stood there and just, I mean, he gobbled, he gobbled a hundred times. He, he could care less, but the other two that were, I mean, every bit of 300, four, maybe 500. Yeah. I mean, I'm holding that, I'm holding that dang shredder above my head, turning it, twisting it. And, um, and so now they start easing their way over. And I had done a little bit of calling. And honestly, what it was is, I don't know if you remember, but they had three hens with them. And that hen was the one that uh, ended up coming over. She she started making her way bebopping over to me because she was trying to check out. Yeah, you know, I think she was checking out, obviously, the strutter. But also, hey, is there another hen in the woods? So I think she was the boss hen. Um, and, and, yeah, man, uh, that was that was a cool hunt. We had to watch it for 20 minutes. I mean, just ease their way, strutting, uh, coming out in and out of strut. And finally, once they made up their mind, you could tell. You could tell when they made up We've got the video. Yeah. You got the video. Yeah, we, got, <laughs> we got the video. When they made up their mind, it was probably about 150 yards away. And as soon as they tucked their wind, wings and started coming, and I always like when there's two of them because then they start to outstep each other. It's, it's funny. They'll, you know, they'll... So like it makes them come a little quicker uh, to you. So they started out stepping each other, and they came in fast. And all of, I mean, they closed the distance quick. And they were kind of the way they came. They were kind of skirting us. And 
I was like, damn, if they go any more to to my left, I mean, you weren't going to be able I'm to. Fucked. Yeah, you weren't going to be able to shoot because I was right there. So luckily, they started easing back to the right. That hen also made her way back to the right, and uh, I, I cut at him uh, three times, made him made him gobble. That was cool, and then all of a sudden, boom. Yeah, no, it was insane. So I mean, literally, the shot was sub. I mean, what do you think? It was six yards, yeah. maybe something like that, maybe six yards yep. or so. So the first shot, you know, they get in real close around the fence, and you start cutting at them. They stick their necks up. Boom! All of a sudden, my turkey, I see feathers fly, and he takes a fly, and I'm like, you got to be shitting me. Boom! I hit his ass again. And, uh, you know, but we go up and look at the bird, and uh, I grazed his neck, you know, and this is no excuse, but that pattern's super tight, you know, at those close distances. And that shot just grazed his neck, so it wasn't good enough. So I'm, I'm very, uh, uh, I guess, thankful that I didn't stop shooting, right? I mean, I had three shells. I'm going to shoot them all because, you know, that bird started flying off. And I'm like, well, he's flying. That ain't good. So, you know, I felt like I was uh, in Stuttgart, Arkansas, and just had a goose get out of the field. Yeah. And I had to, to put to put him down. But, uh, yeah, that was the second bird. And that was probably the coolest experience I've ever had from the standpoint of seeing turkeys from a long way and and literally influencing them to come our way. Now, I agree with what you said about that hen. I think that was probably the the determining factor because you could just tell that they couldn't stand it. She started slowly meandering our way and they would watch, but when she got far enough away, they're like, Hey, we, we got to go get this in check. And uh, so they, they just started to walk towards that hen and they weren't right on her ass because she was hanging out around us for a good minute before they got there. But you could just tell they, they couldn't stand that that hen had left them and started coming towards our edge of the field. No, they could not. And that was that was definitely the downfall of them, that's for sure. Right. And then we went out, did some intercoastal fishing, was able to catch a couple fish on the fly, and we was able to put some redfish in the boat, you know, via shrimp and stuff like that. And Yeah, you, know, you, caught, you, caught, you caught uh, a, a, a trout on a fly. Yeah, yeah. We caught, I mean, we caught the filly. Flounder. Fl- you caught the flounder. Redfish yeah. and a trout. The, yeah, but that, I mean, inshore I think, slam. Yeah, or but we caught about eight or nine redfish, didn't we? Oh no, we put some reds in the boat. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a fact. And that's a fact. And, and shit. And we went hog hunting for two days. And went hog hunting for two days. So I mean, I don't know how much more Florida you can get than that. I mean, shooting turkeys, shooting Osceola turkeys, hog hunting in, 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 a, in an inshore grand slam in the uh, the first coast of Florida. I mean, in the beautiful, beautiful marshes off of Jacksonville. And we got super, super lucky just like last year with the weather window, man, because as y'all know, uh, you know, that Florida weather, you know, it rains a lot. I mean, almost daily, right? Wouldn't you say at a certain time of the year? I mean, it rains a lot. And uh, did it rain at all while we were? I don't even know if it rained at all. Honestly, I don't think so. And I think, and I, well, I know we had a beautiful, beautiful weather window. I mean, it was, couldn't have asked for a better, yeah, because I remember, because I was, that was, it, it had rained for like the whole week before that. Um, so we were very fortunate to have that window. Right. And then what was it, I guess, about a month later is when you rolled into town and uh, yep. he rolls into town and I pick him up about 10 a.m. to Denver Airport. I'm already in full camo. <laughs> we still got a five-hour ride up to uh, to western Nebraska. And I pick him up to the airport. He hops in the car and we just take off, drive five hours to this property I've got access to. And we hop out of the car. And correct me if I'm wrong, the wind was gusting 40, 45 mile an hour. I mean, am I fucking, am, I mean, am yeah. I wrong in saying that? You, no, you, are not, 
you are not wrong because uh, I remember I had you were already in your camo. I had to uh, I had to change once we got there, and I remember I was thank God I was on the downwind side of the car, and we were we had to, we parked up on that on that knob. So I mean the wind is is coming by the car, and I had to seek refuge behind it and was able to change, but. Yeah, it was funny. I got videos of that. I remember that because that was cool. Yeah, I remember it blew my hat off. Got out and it blew my hat off the top of my head. It was just one of those days where I think a lot of dudes would have got out of the car and been like, you know what? We've got a couple days to hunt. You know, all we've got is this afternoon. Let's just go to the bar, you know, get a burger, drink some beers, go to the hotel. But uh, that just ain't the way we went down, get down. And uh, thankfully, we did go in and hunt because we was able to get it done. Go ahead and take it from there, though. Yeah. Yeah. We we did that was we did not have success that afternoon though correct or did we we did that's when you killed oh okay. you killed that afternoon oh that's right I was trying to remember oh, oh the second morning that's right I was trying to remember the second morning yes yep yeah that afternoon we got out we and again you know you know the lay of that land and we started we started kind of walking always we were trying to stay high above them bottoms because we've found that you know them turkeys like to walk them bottoms and uh yeah and yeah we struck out we tried to stay high you know kind of looking in these bottoms kind of understanding that they like to walk these bottoms and i think i'm pretty sure it was around 2.3 miles that we covered before we had the encounter and so we're kind of making that loop almost back to the truck i mean there's still so much so much ground to cover and all of a sudden we hear a hen i don't even it was more like a yelp or something we heard when we, you know we looked at each other so and we heard it was coming from this this intersection of this bottom, this three-way intersection. So we stayed high. We ended up easing up to to see if we could see him. And, and remember, there was that road that kind of cut down to that bottom. And we had a conversation of, you know, when we take that road, we 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 have an idea of where that hen is. But do we take that road that would lead us down to that bottom, or do we stay high? And and like I, I've just always believed that. And I've always heard it from other people and I've, I've experienced it. I don't care if it's a foot or if it's a hundred feet of, of elevation. I always want the high ground in the Turkey woods. Um, and that's just because, you know, in calling and in hunting them, right. If they have the high ground, they can look down and see that where, you know, where's the hen, like, where's that Turkey? I don't see nothing. I'm good. Whereas if I have the high ground and I'm calling, well, they have to come up to look, to search for that hen, which is going to bring them in, you know, shooting distance. So real quick, hold your thought. This is an experience that happened to me yesterday. This is a wild little side story. Hold, hold your thought there. But uh, so I go in, I had left my Tacticam stake, and I haven't told you this yet. I left my Tacticam in the woods up where I've been trying to kill that bird above my house. So I had just went fishing yesterday, and on the way back, I went past where you parked to get to it. So I said, I'm going to go in there and get my Tacticam. Hopefully it's still there. It's public land. Who knows? So I walk in there. Well, in doing that, and I'm so glad I did this, I had my camo with me because there's turkeys in there. I'm not going to just walk in there, no gun, who knows? So I walk in there, I get my camera. I do a couple calls on my way in, nothing. Get the camera, I go to walk out, I hit the corner post, uh, and all of a sudden, and my heart just starts racing. I'm like, I am so glad I brought my gun. So uh, I'm trying to explain, be pretty hard to explain to you uh, exactly where I was. But so where we set up in that, that little bottom there, uh, you know, where we thought those turkeys had roosted, when you start to head back towards that private and you bend that left at that metal corner post, that turkey gobbled from what I thought was 
up the hill, like farther up into the public. So I'm like, that's weird. So I walk up, I get behind a tree and I pull the box call out, do a little sequence. No, he was behind me on that public, on, on that private. It's just, you know, sometimes it just sounds like they're here, there, but I hit the call. He instantly gobbles back. So I'm like, all right, I got a chance here. So like you said, I was like, let me get the high ground on this thing. So I climb up that hill a little bit. And another reason why I did that, not only for just having the high ground, you know, I mentioned to you the other night that I actually found the roost tree where at least for that night that that bird had roosted. So I got up there, started calling. He was gobbling every time I touched the box, just choking on himself every time my heart's racing. I'm like, I'm about to kill this bird because I've been hunting him for a long time and I've been trying to kill him. Well, I went quiet. You know what I mean? I didn't want to call too much. Well, every time I would go quiet, he would go quiet. But every time I would call, he would respond. He only cut loose on his own one time, which was the first time that I heard him and I heard he was there. But from that point forward, he would not gobble on his own. He would only respond to me. So I get the high ground and I would call, he'd respond. I'd call, he'd respond. Every time he'd respond, he was a little bit closer. So I'm like, dude, he's going to come in. So finally, I called one time. Literally, I just slapped the box like a little putt, right? And I'm like, he is right below that hill. I'm about to kill this bird. He never came. Dude, I sat there for 30 minutes. He never showed himself. Who know? And shit, you hunted that gobbler. Dude, he's he might have been that one from last year. I ain't kidding you, dude. That, he, he just seems so smart, man. Like I don't know what it is with that turkey. That will be the greatest hunt if you if slash when you get yeah. done, dude. That is golly. How many I mean you have had a bunch of hunts with that bird. That'll that'll be the if you kill that bird, you I mean, just for the story and just for how many times you've hunted him, you need a full body mount that joker. No doubt about it. And, and I'm to the point now where I'm like, I think the only way I'm going to be able to kill him is to fan him. Because, and I think I told you this the other night too, I went in there and, and hunted him in the evening. And sure enough, he's on that private, which is where he's been living. He's a smart bird. I'd call at him, he'd respond. I'd call at him, he'd respond. Then he goes quiet for five minutes. I call at him again, he responds. He was like 250 yards away, headed, running right towards the roost tree. Like, I don't understand the thought press. I, I don't know this. This bird is just, dude, he is cracked out. I don't know if it's from people hunting him, but the spot is not an obvious spot that no. there would be turkeys there, right? I mean, no. you, you've seen it. Like, I, I don't think it's that. I just, I don't know, man. I think this is a wise old turkey and he's played the game because he's good at what he does. I mean, I'm to the point now where I, I'm scared to ever call at him again. I don't think I'm going to ever call at him again. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, if I was you, I'd probably try and go in there silent have that fan with me just in case I see him far away, maybe be able to show him it. And, but yeah, that's probably a 10 year old bird shooting lightning bolts out of his spurs. Yeah, dude, I've never, I've never uh, experienced a bird is just so hard to work. I mean, literally I'm like intimidated to work him. Like now I just, my thought process is get in there early in the morning, hope he's roosted on that public and try to get in between him and that private because you know, that's where he's going to go. Yep. But, but at that point it's like, you got to get it just right because you can't call at him, try to make him come closer. So like, you got to be somewhere in front of him before he gets to that private. Because once he's on private, he's done. He'll go over there and gobble his head off. Yeah. But he ain't coming back off of it. Yeah. From I, I think you made the right the right move with the high ground. And I mean, that's that's what we did on that 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 hunt that first afternoon in Nebraska. Is we were like, no, let's let's keep the high ground. We ended up coming out to that peninsula that overlooked that intersection. And we were on our hands and knees, just peering through a bunch of bunch of them 
what, what, what kind of pines were those? What kind of pines? Oh, uh, those are ponderosas. Ponderosas. Yeah. And we could see one hen, two hen, three, right? And they're, they're cat, they're, you know, cutting and stuff. And we didn't hear a gobble. Well, no, we heard a gobble. That was actually, we first heard the gobble wait, like faintly heard a gobble, I thought. And that's when we looked at each other. Then when we got closer, we started hearing the hens, but we did not see that that Tom, when we got up there and we were peering through all them, all them pines looking down at him, but you had to imagine that, okay, he is with this harem and we saw the way they were walking this bottom and it's like, yeah, could we have gone at him maybe and maybe been successful? Who knows? I don't know, but. I don't think so. I don't think think about, I don't think, I don't think it worked out, dude. I don't think so either, but we came up with the plan to kind of almost backtrack and the way they were they were moving in the bottom, they had passed the intersection, so we know we knew which way they were they were headed, and we got about probably 150 yards down that bottom, and got in a perfect perfect setup. We were up on this bluff looking down. I mean, we were probably every bit of you know 60 50 60 feet looking down at this bottom, and it was this. They were have they were gonna have to come around this this bend this corner and then boom that's when they, that's when we would see them and honestly, as soon as they came around that corner it was uh they were they were probably in range I mean we were ranging it and you know that old Remington Versa Max with the True Glow you know I, I mean I shot some turkeys out to eighty five yards with it so I, I was feeling good and and you had the range finder and you were telling me some some of the ranges and I think the furthest one was sixty so I'm like okay if this if if, if they're gonna walk this bottom and and this joker comes around that corner. I mean, I got him dead in the rights. And there is no better feeling as a turkey hunter when you have that bird dead in the rights because I've gotten to the point in, in, in my turkey hunting where I, I like to, like, watch them and I like to almost play with them. You know, I'll try and cut at them to make them gobble. I've shot a couple mid-gobble, like, where I've cut at them and, and shot them on the gobble. But so that's a, it's a good feeling knowing that. So we sat there and we didn't we did not call. And would I have liked to have called? Sure. Would it have been cool to say, oh, yeah, I called that turkey? And yeah. Would it have been great to, to call and hear that Merriam's gobble? Yeah. But I wanted to kill that turkey. And sometimes you just have to, you, know, you can almost call it deer hunting, but sometimes you just have to shut up, use the terrain, and that's what we did. And 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 knowing that property now, this is your second or third year on that property. I mean, that's, that's what killed that bird. And we sat there for about 15 minutes. Uh, didn't touch a call didn't touch a call and we didn't even hear them and you were you were up behind me about 10 feet away a couple trees away and i was sitting perfectly on this last tree on this peninsula and i mean they would the only thing we had against us was the sun the sun was directly in our eyes and the sun was i mean lighting us up but again we were 50 60 feet up i mean there was no reason or i mean that they would look up there so i felt comfortable i felt confident and all of a sudden, here comes the first hen. She comes up, she starts, you know, she's easing around the corner, bebopping. Here comes the second one, bebopping. And I think I, I like cut my eyes at you and like pointed down my gun. And at that point, I was like, just based on the, you know, the, the flocks that I've seen on that property, I'm like, there has, there's going to be, there's going to be a Tom with this harem. And one hen, two hen, three hen, four. All of a sudden, nine hens come around the corner, and then there's a little bit of a of a lull. And then there was there was one Jake that came running around the corner, and all of a sudden, here comes, here comes big boy, fanned out, big old beautiful white tail. Oh my gosh, insane! And I was just sitting there, and I had him in my scopes as soon as he came around the corner, and I'm just, 
I mean, I literally was smiling ear to ear, dude. I, I was, I loved it. I soaked every bit of that up. And um, he got to a point where, and it was actually, I mean, we called it too. It's like, they're either going to walk this bottom or start cutting up, like kind of walking up the ridge. Now there was a little pathway yep. and they started to do that. And, you know, that was probably worst case, but again, still in range. And he walked perfectly. He was the last one. I, I let him clear to make sure there was no debris, no trees or nothing. And part of me really wanted to cut at him to, to hear that gobble. But I'm like, you know what? Let me just get this Merriam's under my belt. And he kind of, yeah, I think he was still in strut, which I don't ever really shoot a turkey still in strut. He kind of he, he kind of came out of strut a little bit. And, I don't think he was ever in full. Right. I think when we saw him, it was just, he was kind of in yeah. half strut. But enough where you could see that's a full fan gobbler. Right, time, right. And, and, you know, he gave me that neck and I freaking let it eat. And he... I mean, I don't think he, well, he flinched a couple of times, but man, it suitcased him and, and those birds, I mean, they never even knew we were there. We sat there, uh, we sat there and golly, it was, it was really cool. It was really freaking cool. Um, the craziest thing about it is, you know, every time you set up, there's one particular spot where you're like, damn, it sure would be nice if they walked this spot right here. But in the back of your mind, you're like, well, I need contingencies because these are wild animals. They're probably not going to do exactly what you think they're going to do. In this instance, they did exactly what we thought they was going to do. There's a little cattle trail in the bottom of that creek. And those things were right in the middle of that cattle trail. It worked out perfect. We actually, speaking to what you just said about how the birds didn't even freak out, we had another little group of birds come behind them, and I about got a shot at yeah. the long beard. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, they, they had no clue that we were there. But then the coolest part of it all, though, we shoot them and – you know, we're freaking, we're, we st we're still hanging out and just like amped up, going crazy, but quietly celebrating in whispers. And that, that, uh, that group eases off. And then that second group comes through and they ease off up that, up that, up that ridge. And, uh, so we end up climbing down and, and I had seen it where I was sitting, I could see it. And halfway through the, through the hunt, I had no, I had recognized it. And I, and in my head, I was like, Holy crap, this is crazy that, that we were at, at the wall where we carved our names last year. And so when we climbed down, and I don't think you had seen it yet. So when, when we climbed down, uh, we're coming around the corner and here is this incredible sand wall where it's like, you know, it's, it's a, it's a wall. I mean, it's a cliff, but you could, you could carve a name in it. It's like a, a it's sand almost. Um, and we carved our name, our initials in there last year with a heart. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> with, I had to stop it from doing a heart uh, yeah. with, with the year, which was 2022. And the coolest part about this wall though, is there's all of these initials and dates all over the wall. I mean, you know, 50, 60 of them. And the years that they are from, I think like the 60s, 70s, 80s, yep. 90s, we saw some from the 30s. And I mean, it looks like they were carved yesterday. Exactly. Like just frozen in time. So I thought that was the coolest thing last year. But so, I don't know, full circle, weird, the universe that that is where we killed that bird. We killed that bird 20 feet from that wall. And how special was it that we were able to celebrate that right there and then carve the same, I think it was BLJW, 
22 yeah. and then we put a 23 under that 22 and and we got some great pictures of that and i don't know man that was that was special to me because i'm i'm big on that that stuff and for that to happen like it did it was cool no it's badass man i mean we're the odds that the spot where we went carter names into the into the clay wall the next year we go in there and kill a turkey and it, i'm not shitting you i mean it was within 15 yards of, of exactly where we wrote our names yep. within 15 yards. There. It was incredible. But uh, I remember the next morning, got a good night's sleep, uh, went out, tried to get me one um, because I'm sure you guys know this. Nebraska kind of changed, not kind of, they changed the way that they, they did their applications for, uh, for, for turkey hunting and for a good reason. I mean, you know, a lot of people, especially since COVID, you know, are, are trying to get out to Nebraska and shoot birds. And I don't blame them, but, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta always look out for the birds. And they had a, a cap on the quota for the amount of non-residents that could get turkey tags this year. So I only ended up with one tag. I'm glad I called Linder to tell him to get his tag. So we both only had one tag. So we had like a day, I guess, to get me one. So we go out the next morning to the spot where typically they, they roost and they were roosted in there. Uh, and I was going to try to get one with a bow and I had a badass set up just the way we were set up, the way we had the decoys, uh, it, it, there should have been a dead bird, but the property we're working on, I mean, it's a working ranch. This is not a hunting property. These guys work and, and, you know, I'll be damned if they're going to stop their work because we're trying to kill a turkey. Right. So we're listening to these birds and it wasn't a whole, whole lot of birds that we heard, but we were hearing birds consistently from the time we got in there. We could hear some hens. We could hear some gobbles. And sure enough, they're roosted in a spot, literally where we shot yesterday. I think that's where they were roosted, not far from there. Uh, they were roosted right there, and I'm getting all fired up. I got my bow ready and all that, and it was colder than hell that morning. I remember being cold as hell, and uh, but you know you're fired up because you know there's turkeys there. Where all of a sudden you hear just cowboys, yep, 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 just making all this noise. You hear horses running around. They're down in the bottom. I don't know what uh they were doing some kind of roundup. I don't know what the hell they were doing, uh, but I'd be hard pressed to believe that they didn't scare those turkeys off because after all that commotion happened, that was pretty much it. Uh, especially for that that group of birds and then uh, i remember we went across the road uh, which is still the same property uh, we went across the road to that and did that same very similar anyways loop that we did last year big long put on some miles and it was pretty desolate uh not sure what it was but uh, we didn't see a turkey on that side of the road right no nope. we didn't see one we didn't hear one i mean i thought what did we do how many we did like a, a little bit over six right miles i want to say it was seven or eight miles yeah yeah yep and didn't get on any birds but uh and then we go back to colorado how did colorado go yeah uh, went back to colorado we hunted that morning where we got stopped <laughs> oh that's right that's right that's right we got stopped that morning uh by fishing game as we were on a forest service road and that's when after that there was no turkeys in there so we went back over by my place right is that was yep. that then yeah we went back yeah. over to your place put some time in over there nothing and we uh then we went to uh luke's crib and did the podcast which that was really cool and then the next morning we uh i think there was a day one more day in between where, where we uh we were pounding public up up by your house and then but that was cool that we uh went we had that encounter with that bird i mean we we thought we pinpointed the same bird that's that you right. were just talking about we thought right. we heard him that morning and i mean we got as close as we could i mean i gotta think we were 150 yards at one point but uh he hit the ground he knew where he was headed and and off he went so 
no luck there, but you know, we were like, dang, well, I, I think I got a pretty damn good idea where he's roosted. So maybe we can slip in there in the morning. And I was actually, I was actually flying out at, I want to say it was like 1030. I had a 1030 flight out of, out of uh, Denver International headed to Missouri to, 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 you know, continue my turkey hunting. And we did the podcast that night with Luke, which was a hell of a time. I mean, hell of a time. It always is. Hell of a time. You know, you know, one could say I had one too many to drink, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> walks driving these windy ass roads back. I said, Hey buddy, if I tell you to stop, I'm going to need you to stop so I can get out and, and, uh, you know, let it rip. But, uh, but we we freaking woke up that morning and we uh, made it to that to the mountain and we got to where we thought we needed to be and we set up and it was going to be by 7 a.m. because you know sunlight or uh, daybreak there was like 5:30 so yep you know we had plenty of time if it was going to happen it was going to happen and uh, by 7 a.m. we said we got to be on the road headed to the airport so. We gave it our all. Didn't did not hear a peep. He never said a word. We got I got to watch uh, watch the sunrise one more time in the Rocky Mountains, and, and by God, it was beautiful. And yeah, made our way to the airport. I mean, it was crazy because you know we're talking about that bird. We chased that bird back across the highway, all over the place. All of a sudden, you get across the road, and all of a sudden, he's on the other side. I mean, he knows he's playing the game, man. He knows what he's doing. He's man. evil. He's evil. Yeah, he's evil, man. He's evil. I, I want to get him killed. And it almost makes you want to put off, you know, I get these invites to to hunt properties and stuff like that. But, man, I want to kill this bird, man, because, you know, he's beat my ass on every occasion so far. He's whooped me on every occasion. So, uh, like you said, it might be a full full body mount uh, for this one if I can get him killed. Because I got a lot of respect for this thing because, again, I just I can't figure out a way to beat him. I don't know what I need to do. You know, I'll continue – you know, trying different stuff. Like I said, I want to get in between his roost tree on public and that private where I know he's eventually going to work his way to. But, you know, those Merriams being so nomadic, I mean, shit, he could roost here one night and roost a mile away the next night and then be back at the, the other tree the next night. I mean, you, you just never know, which is, is why it's, it's super fun to hunt those birds. You just never know, man. Yeah. Yeah. I'm out of ideas for you, though. Yeah. You got to figure, <laughs> you got to figure that one out yourself. I know. I'm going to stay after it. But uh, talking about the Rocky Mountains, man, and, uh, you know, just like me, you like to conquer shit, right? And, you know, I know that, you know, being a hunter, I think most hunters at some point, they want to kill a Rocky Mountain elk at some point. Uh, maybe some do, some don't. But I know for me, I've always wanted to kill an elk. I know growing up in East Tennessee, I'd see elk and I'm like, well, I'm probably never going to get a chance to to hunt elk because it's a you know, it's it's one of those things where you got to put in for 20 years to be able to get the opportunity to go chase them and so on and so forth. But, you know, obviously that's not the truth. And uh, you came out here and you were able to put your uh, your first elk on the ground. Beautiful elk, put him on the ground. Beautiful scenery. Uh, let's talk about that for a little bit, man, because the stories between your story and Marty Williams' story, I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, it was a hell of a time. I mean, first... First year being retired, you know, I had a, I finally had a fall. I was able to, you know, go out and elk hunt. And uh, me and a great buddy of mine, Marty Williams, we went out there with two other fellas. We had access to some amazing, amazing, amazing private property in southern Colorado, you know, close to the New Mexico border. And, I mean, thousands of acres uh, at our disposal. At our disposal. And um, 
in these herd. I mean, it's it's one of the main corridors for these this elk migration. Um, so truly, truly grateful that I was able to you know step foot on that property. And like we've talked about before, I, I just enjoy seeing new dirt, seeing new property, um, really being able to take it in. And and I mean, the camp where we stayed at, you know, was on property and. I mean, a mile off the road, I mean, you never heard a car, you never heard anything. There was no light pollution. And it was this old, old farmhouse. I mean, from like, like built in the 1940s and we were in, uh, where, where it was, I mean, it was in this meadow and all we had around the camp was all these big mature cottonwoods. And what was pretty cool is when we, we were there for five, four, five nights, we were there for five nights and so you guys drove out there, right? Yeah, 24 hours straight. There's four of us. We Everyone took a shift and, uh, yeah, drove out there 24 hours straight, stopping at your, your you know, your Bucky's and your, your, you know, your big gas stations on the way. And your boy had to drive the uh, the, the midnight shift. I drove from 9 a.m. to 3 a.m. And that was, that was tough. I mean, there was some, there was some, uh, there was a lot of energy drinks uh, drank. And, uh, there was some little screaming internally to keep myself awake. Maybe I had to slap myself a couple times. Um, but yeah, made it out there. And it was funny cause you know, being in a car for 24 hours straight, we're all talking like, Oh, when we get there, we're going to crash and, you know, take naps and stuff. But man, when we got there, all we did was sit outside and I mean, you know, 160 to 190 inch mule deer walking by these freaking herds of elk right here, like damn near in the yard, this beautiful, this beautiful pond that, that they dammed up, you know, with this Creek running into it, freaking monster rainbow trout and Brown trout in it. So, I mean, there was no sleep and we were at that point we were wired. Um, but yeah, it was, it was amazing. I was on the gun first, you know, we split off into teams. So it was Marty and I, and, uh, I was on the gun first and we got up into this and it was cool. Uh, the two cowboys that, that worked this, this farm, this ranch, they were both, I mean, in their mid seventies and, you know, by the looks of them, you'd be like, no way they're going to be able to get around and, 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 you know, walk on up these mountains and stuff. And man, it was, it was hard to keep up with them. It was the most impressive thing I'd ever seen. So the one, our one guy, Butch, you know, he, uh, the first afternoon that we were hunting, um, I was on the gun. Marty was there and his wife, Stacy, and we set up in this meadow. And again, right, these guys know this property. They've worked this 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 ranch for twenty years. They know what these elk do. They have they have a finger on on that on the pulse of these elk. So we got into this we got up on this in this meadow and we were on one side of it up in these up in these uh aspens. And we were looking down on this meadow. And I mean, we were probably every bit of 50 to a hundred feet, you know, elevated above this meadow and then the meadow, you know, dropped down and it was, I mean, it was probably, probably like 30 acres was this meadow. Like, you know, the furthest shot for me would have been about 600, which I probably wouldn't have taken that shot. And, um, and then it comes up and on the other side, I mean, it goes straight up and, and on the, on the top of this, this, you know, this mountain, it was a freaking mountain. And, uh, so we're sitting there for about probably about an hour and all of a sudden we start hearing and, and Butch told us he's like these these elk, they're up in this dark timber for most of the day, and then they you know, the bulls will start 
kind of corralling corralling their their cows and, and getting them ready and then they they process out into the uh, into these meadows and kind of they're there in the afternoon so all of a sudden we started hearing bugling and that was my first time hearing it you know i had heard it the first night in camp I mean, Com- compare your hearing the bugle to to, to a turkey uh, i mean there there is no there is no comparison <laughs> you can compare it but until you experience the, right the bugle i mean it's you can hear it on tv is one thing but it, it's different yeah there is no comparison um and so these elk were in this dark timber for 30 minutes 45 minutes and you could hear there were six different different elk at least bugling and but but you would hear one that was like oh he's got to be the man right i mean just just the the base in which he bugled and and his uh, you know his chuckles is that the right term chuckle (laughs) (laughs) you could tell uh, you know that has to be the man so all of a sudden here comes the first elk and it's a cow and i'm talking they just start flooding out of the timber and it was the craziest thing to me because these things weren't like i i i'm used to a white-tailed deer kind of just easing out and looking around and like real nervous Man, these elk came out of that timber and they were bucking and jumping and it looked like a bunch of dogs playing around, like just I mean, literally bucking and just jumping all over the place and out out comes a couple, you know, young bulls and 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 you know, a couple more bulls and the first two different groups came out of the woods and I there had I mean, I got videos of it. I got videos of me shooting and everything. I mean, there had to be every bit of a hundred to 150 elk in that meadow and probably 10 to 12 different bulls. And the bull I shot was by far, you know, the biggest one. There was one other in the group where, you know, maybe I would have shot him, you know, that was the first afternoon. So I'd have probably held out because I could tell, I mean, this bull was, this bull was, you know, it's beautiful, but I, you know, knowing what's on that property, I'd have probably held out. Um, but I would also be tickled to have shot that second bull. But the bull I shot, I mean, you could tell. I mean, just his body. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at IDing white-tailed deer. And I understand the, the you know, the correlation. So you've killed some mature white-tails, what you're trying to yeah, do. Yeah, I mean, you know, I got, I got some heads on the wall, okay? All right, all right. Does that make sense? No, I got It some, makes sense. I got some heads on the wall. So this elk, I mean, you could just tell his freaking neck and his chest and his his ass and his belly. Probably just the way he was walking yeah. around just commanded the whole well, he, man. Yeah, well, he came out almost last, and he was, you know, pushing these pushing these girls down into the meadow. And so, so they're they're kind of just easing, feeding, and and uh, and it's like, all right, like we we you know that's that's probably about it for all the bulls. You know, we sat there for about five ten minutes just in case any more would come out. And this dude just just freaking letting it rip, bugling. And I, I had, I was comfortable shooting out to 400 yards. I was using a 300 rum and I had been practicing out to that distance. And luckily they, I mean, just the way they ran out and how they were feeding through that meadow. I mean, he, he was at 150 yards when I made up my mind, like, all right, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to shoot this elk. So I, I didn't even have to dial my scope in actually at all. Um, so that was nice. And, you know, I just went through my routine and, and I, of, of, you know, my shooting routine and, he was perfectly quartering, slightly quartering away, but broadside. Were you uh, pretty composed? Like, how, how nervous were you so, before the shot? You know, I was nervous, but I wasn't. I'm like a, I'm a killer. Like, 
and I just like when I have it in my mind, I'm gonna pull the trigger. Like I don't let nerves get in the way. I it's more like I just flip a switch and like I'm gonna kill this thing. Like I'm gonna do everything you know ethically to kill him. And I I've done I've done so much to get here and to get to this opportunity. Like I'm not gonna let nerves get in my way. So I it's weird. I I, I weirdly get composed when I and and that's you know I I just think through my hunting career that, that's um, that hasn't always been the case, but as of late, that's, that's been the case. Um, so I was nervous. Do not get me wrong, but I was fucked. I was locked in, man. I was locked in. So once I clicked my safety off, I'm like, I'm going to kill this thing. Like, how cool was it just having that reticle when you pulled your oh, scope man. up? It's like, I'm looking at a Rocky mountain yeah. elk through my scope and I'm about to shoot. Him. Yep. Yep. And, and, you know, I let the trigger, I let the trigger surprise me. Ooh, and that, and so I hit that elk and you could see him like, like just a little bit, but it, it, it looked like I had, I didn't even hit the damn thing. And I was shooting a 300 rum. And so here comes now all of the, all of the, the herd is now running up this meadow, almost back into the, to the timber, the way they came. So, and, and, you know, the one guy was telling us, he's like, bullets are the cheapest part of this trip. So let them freaking fly. I mean, keep, keep sending them. So also, okay, so I rack one and I get on my scope and, you know, now everything's running like stampeding. So in my head, I'm like, don't shoot another bull. Make sure. Yeah. I mean, make sure you have, you know, that's your bull. So I, okay. I get on, right. And I, 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 boom, I find him and he's kind of lagging back behind. I mean, there's a couple other bulls behind him. Um, and he's running. And dude, when I tell you, I I was I could see blood pouring out of him. And I'm talking a perfect shot. I was looking at his exit because he turned around and went the other way. I was looking at his exit. And I'm talking a perfect shot. I mean, just pouring out his side. So I get on him and he stops. And now he's up at about, he was like probably right at 275, 300. I didn't range him. I just freaking, you know, guessed. You ain't got time for all that. Yeah, you ain't got time. And... I get on him, and just as I get on him, he starts to trot again. Boom, I shoot him on the trot, and he crumbles. And so he crumbles, and I, I think I hit him a lot. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure I hit him a little high because it spined him, and he crumbled. Yep. And now he's just he's laying there like on all fours laying there with his head up. And so I rack one more, and he's got his head up. And I'm t- it was probably 275, 300, and I put it right on his neck. And I give that him, was the end of it. I give him one more shot, and we got it on on on, you know, on film. And I mean, you couldn't have put a, a better shot. I mean, it hit him right in the neck and just absolutely collapsed. And there was this freaking spray of blood too when the bullet. It was wild. Three hundred rum. That ain't no. That's a no. I know. Yeah. And and that dude toted. You know, I can't believe the first. I mean, the first round you couldn't have put a better shot. And and that dude took three bullets, uh, to to bring him down. And it was actually funny because. The four of us in camp, we, we all killed within uh, in three days. And all four of us, it took three shots to kill our elk. All four. I don't of know them. if I've heard that part yet. That's wow. Yeah. Yeah. God, dog. So you put the elk down. Now old Marty Williams is on the gun, man. And this is this is an insane story, too, because it couldn't happen to a better yeah. dude, man. No, it couldn't happen to a better dude. But just backtracking, walking up to that, to that elk, Ooh. that was like, I, I started to... Um, I started to get choked up walking up to that elk and like, I really, I really was taking mm-hmm. it in. 
So yeah, so walking up to that elk, I mean, literally, it was one of the most majestic. Like it was, uh, and after I shot, and after I knew he was down, dude, I sat there and like I looked back at Marty and at Butch and Stacy, and and I mean, you know, we were just fist bumping and like you know, just uh, I mean, I got goosebumps right now telling this story. It was kind of this is weird, and you know, I'm looking back and they were smiling and just like, oh my gosh, and just celebrating. You know, again, whispering quietly, right. And then I turned, I turned back and we sat there for probably about 10 minutes, just letting all the elk ease out of that meadow, you know, not trying to jump up and spook them and stuff. And, and just where, where I was at in my life, everything I, that I had going on in my life and, you know, being freshly retired out of the NFL and just always have wanted to kill an elk and where I was and how, how I did it in the, in the company that I did it with, like, I literally started like welling up and like, I mean, crying, like it, in a, not like boo hoo crying, but just, you know, tears were coming out of my eyes and I was literally like, I, it, it, it was a, a feeling that I had not felt. And, uh, it was special, man. It really was. And I think for, for an animal to do that and, and, you know, obviously the amount of respect that I have for that animal, um, it was special. So, you know, walking up on that animal, I mean, it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger as I got closer and closer. I mean, cause you know, I started that walk about 300 yards away and just, I was like, I mean, just bigger and bigger. And that, and I got up to him and it's just like, Holy crap. And I put my hands on him and, um, and you know, the guy Butch was telling us, he's like, I mean, that's well, every bit of a thousand pound, 1100 pound animal mature. I mean, real mature. I, 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 I still have yet to score that elk, but I mean, I think it goes over 300, maybe somewhere in that 300 to 315, just going off of Marty. He's over 300 for sure. Yeah. Just going off of Marty's elk that he killed, but yeah, man, it was special. I mean, it was, it was really special. Um, and I did not take that lightly. I did not take that for granted that opportunity and and you know yeah it was cool and so so marty was on the gun next and also just the cleaning process of that animal i mean that was amazing amazing uh you know gutting that animal and just how big the organs were and and the heart the heart your quarters the back straps it was incredible and luckily thankfully and that was the other thing that that butch was like hey try and try and kill these things graveyard dead before they get out of the meadow. That way we can pull a truck up to them. And, you know, they got these little tick trucks with the, with the winch on the back. And I mean, you know, that's a nice thing to have. Obviously that's a, a, a great luxury, but that's how, that's what they do on this, on this ranch. So I made sure to kill them graveyard dead. And that way we could take them back and hang them up. I mean, they had these gambrels in camp, you know, up in these cottonwoods and that way we can hang them up and take our time, uh, you know, cutting them up and, and really being able to harvest all the meat, you know, that maybe you might not, uh, in the back country. Um, so we were able to do that. We gutted them out there, loaded them up in the truck using that winch. And I mean, I got pictures of this thing in the bed of this truck. I mean, it's hanging out of the truck. It was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. I mean, just huge. And it got them back to camp and got them strung up on, on the gambrel. And, and I mean, using that winch, actually it was, it was a pulley system using that to, uh, to uh hoist this freaking thousand pound animal up and it's hanging there and i mean it's it was the most impressive thing i'd ever seen and and to be successful on the first afternoon i was the first one to kill in camp and just that afternoon oh man we you know it had to have been a fun night of just yeah dude relishing in victory man bro we poured a stern stern drink (sighs) 
And we had that night, I had brought swordfish steaks. Uh, so we ate, we ate swordfish, grilled swordfish in, uh, the, the Colorado Rocky mountains as, as I'm, as I'm grilling these damn swordfish that I had caught in Venice, Louisiana a month before, a month before I'm, I'm, I'm just grilling these swordfish steaks and looking at this damn elk that that's hanging up. And that by that point, you know, by dinner time, we already had the, the hide knocked off them and it was going to be, it was going to be real cold. So we let them hang overnight. Uh, that way we, we would doctor them up in the morning and man, like, Myself and, and Marty, I know, and I've learned a lot from Marty, um, uh, cleaning animals. And this guy, I mean, is, is, is the real deal when it comes to all things, all things, wildlife, all, all things, harvesting animals. I mean, he is the butcher. Uh, that's his nickname and butcher, the magician. He's got a lot of nicknames, but, uh, but man, we took our time and, and, and took the hide off that elk and, and the next day quartered it. And it was just cool, you know, seeing the anatomy of, of that animal and, how big the back straps were, how big the quarters were. I mean, and the weird thing was too, man, I, I like I have smelled some nasty ass whitetail, some rutten ass whitetail. I know you've spoke on rutten mule deer and how much they stink. And, and I mean, I would, I would say the way these things were bugling, right there, these elk were still rutten. I mean, they were pissing all over themselves and stuff, but for whatever reason, you know, I, and I helped, I was, you know, helping clean all, clean all these, these elk, these four elk that we killed. And, you know, we all took part in that, but for whatever reason, man, they, they had a good smell to me. It was, it was a weird, like, like fragrance that I was like, I mean, this does not smell bad, but it's very, uh, recognizable. If you will, very pungent. Like once you smell one, if you smell another one, it's like, Ooh, it's an elk. Yeah. But it like, but it didn't stink to me. It was weird. It was weird. So, but yeah, so then, so that was a great night again, you know, stern drink, swordfish, you know, elked out. I'm good, right? I'm, I'm feeling good. Am I, Pressure's off. Pressure is off. You know, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll be the bartender. I'll be the camp cook. I don't care. Hey, I'm just along for the ride now. Hey, you boys, you know, if you guys want some, some tips and some pointers, you know. I, I, you know, I just killed 300 <laughs> I mean, I, mean I can tell you what I know, but, yeah. Exactly. Right? <laughs> yeah, guys, I can't do it for you. You're going to have to go out there and do it yourself. But I can I can give you a little, you know, a little tricks of the trade. So, but anyways, we go out. Next day, uh, we hunt hard. And uh, didn't have we had a couple encounters, but nothing, you know, nothing worth worth shooting again, especially knowing this property, knowing the, the class of, of, of bull elk that have come off this property. Then we went another day, nothing. And this was the last day that we had in camp. Um, the next day we were going to be headed out. And I think Marty and the other, the other two gentlemen, they, they killed as well. And they killed some damn fine bulls. They killed, uh, both the days in between myself and Marty killing, and, you know, not that Marty felt the pressure or anything, but it's like, you know, I mean, shit, I, you would hope that you, you would be able to have an encounter and, and, and put down a, a beautiful elk. This was all our first times elk hunting. And uh, so we went out that last morning and just, you know, the weather was beautiful. You could not have asked for, for better weather. I mean, cold, but, you know, sunny, bluebird. Um, so we went out that last morning and. Butch is driving us out there and, and we were just going to, Butch was going to kind of just cut us loose because Butch could get around, but you know, we could cover a little bit more ground, um, a little quicker. And, 
and we are driving i mean we're still we're on the property but we you know we're probably a mile from where we're trying to get and all of a sudden i see this herd of elk up on top of this i mean i don't know if i want to call it a ridge or a mountain but up on top of this the top of this freaking this mountain and they were kind of feeding feeding down and there wasn't really many trees uh it was more like a pasture on the top of this you know ridge and they were feeding down but they were I mean, they were half a mile away. They were far. And so he stops the truck <clears throat> and we glass him and we see this giant bull. And, you know, I mean, he's got the sky silhouetting him. It was, it was incredible. We see this giant bull. So we pile out the truck and Butch is like, I would just go after him. And I'm like, Butch, do you, do you jump in this bottom or do you stay high? He's like, he's like, I would jump in this bottom right here. This bottom it splits where that where that herd is and where we are on, on our side he's like there's a creek that runs through there there's this little bottom and there's pines on either side jump down in that bottom use that terrain and, and then i mean good luck <laughs> did, you, did you still have that uh that downhill thermal uh the yes yeah okay so you had to win in your favor you hop in the bottom you go after him. right so we had to win in our favor and also the whole time that we got on this hunt i mean the wind was smacking us right in the face too so it was perfect it was perfect we were downwind from them so we hop out and we take off and it's me, Marty and Stacy. And we jump down in this bottom. We're kind of walking, walking the side of this, you know, this little, whatever dip on the, 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 the side of this, of this ridge, you know, and then, then there's the bottom and we're kind of, I'm walking as quickly as I can. But we get to this one, one point And I mean, you know, I'm out of breath. Marty's out of breath. You know, Stacy's out of breath. Cause we're trying to get, we're trying to get to this, this point. Cause there was all these these ponderosa pines, and then and then there was going to be a gap in these pines, and I think we would have been able to see them. So I boogie up to there to, to kind of get where I think we need to get situated, and I, I come around the corner and I just barely barely look over, and I see I see uh, that elk standing there, and I ranged him, and he was, I mean he was probably two hundred fifty yards, which is right in Marty's wheelhouse. He was using a seven mag, and. Uh, and by the time Marty gets up there, you know, again, right, huffing and puffing, and and he had to uh, he had to take a second to catch his breath, and um, we got he sat down and he had a seven mag. And we had we had a uh, you know shooting stick with us, and the way we were set up on the edge of this on the edge of this hill, you know, with this terrain with this elevation, there's nothing there was nothing he could sit down and rest on, so. I like kind of sat behind him so that way he could like lean and use me as a backrest to really get situated on the gun, right? Because he's he's huffing and puffing, right? I mean, it's a freaking monster elk. And well, hold your thought real quick. Talk to me about, and maybe it's maybe I'm jumping ahead, but I, I think this has already happened. Talk about like uh, you said, Marty was cramping, and you were like trying well, to help him alleviate the cramps and all that. We're not there yet. Okay, okay, go ahead. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. we're not there yet. So this is 15 minutes into the hunt. 15 okay. minutes into the hunt, we got a shot at this bull. 250, 275, and he's the last one in the group. And by the time Marty gets there, by the time Marty gets calmed down and situated, that bull is just, just eases into the into these into these pine or behind these pines, and that's it. We no longer have an opportunity. And it was yeah, one, he, you didn't booger him. He just that's the way no, it was going. That, Everything's still good. He exactly. You don't have the opportunity still, anymore. Yep. Everything was still good. We didn't have the opportunity. And when I tell you, it was probably 
I mean, if we were if we were there a minute sooner, right? We'd have killed that bull. I, I truly believe it. We'd. Have, I mean, we we're seconds away. Se- Marty was seconds away from pulling that trigger, and just the the way he was, you know, just easing, doing his doing his deal, and he just that was it. And so again, not boogered or nothing. So now we got it. We got to continue our stock. So we we keep going, and now we get to a point where these these pines are going to stop, and now we're kind of like on the same level right they're on the other side of this bottom and we're on this side and there's not too much elevation now just just a little bit of elevation in this bottom and we can see that these elk are just on the other side of this bottom and then this bottom turned into like a little meadow right and it's in the bottom now so we have to there's no cover in between us and at least getting to a point to where we, we could shoot. And it's about 150 yard stretch that we have to get on. It started on our hands and knees and then it turned into on our bellies and freaking elbows. And that's as, that's as low as we can get. And there was so much frost on the ground. I didn't have no gloves on. My hands were like frostbitten dude, but I like, you know, I mean, I couldn't even feel my hands, but I didn't even care. Right. So we're, we start this crawl and I'm talking every bit of 150 yards, every bit of 150 yards. And what, what turned into, we could have killed him in the first 15 minutes turned into like a two hour hunt, you know? So we're crawling and about probably 50 yards in all of a sudden, Marty's like, Bubba, I'm cramping. And I was like, and I was like, where, where are you cramping? And he's like in my, uh, in my calf, in my right calf. And we couldn't, I mean, we could not stand up. If we stood up, the hunt's over. Like normally you have to stand up to, to alleviate a cramp, right? So he's like in my, in my right calf. So we're, so we're laying on our sides now and he's, we're like dick to dick, right? We're talking to each other. And I'm like, so I take my foot and I hook his right foot and, and I start to pull, I use my foot to pull his foot back because that's what needs to happen to alleviate a calf cramp. So literally we're laying there face to face and I've taken my foot because I can't, I can't even sit up. These elk will see us and I'm pulling his foot back as hard as I can with my foot. And, and we do that for about, you know, a minute, two minutes. And he's like, all right, like I'm good. Like it worked. So we start back and we're cramping. And I, I'm leading the way and he's just behind me and we go another, we go another 40 yards and he's like, he's like, I'm cramping again. So we get back in the same position and I hook his foot and pull it back and okay, boom, he's good. All right. You good. Yeah. Uh, and did you guys bring any water at all? No, no, <laughs> no, this was, Hey, this was first thing in the morning. I mean, so what you got to have some damn water hey, Go ahead, piled, piled out the truck. All right. And, uh, uh, so, so, okay. So boom, I'm, I'm, I'm alleviating that cramp. And now, and there was a couple little freaking tumbleweed, but I mean, that's what we were using to kind of crawl behind, but it was, I mean, it was minimal. And now the sun's starting to get up. Now we're starting to get in the sun, which is even worse because, you know, we're, you know, now we're, we're, uh, you know, we got light on us and, and before we were in the shadows, but now like the sun's up. So we, we, we're continuing this crawl and there's like an old cattle road that runs through this you know, what, if you want to call it a meadow, runs through this meadow, down this bottom, up the other side, and that's where the elk were. Now these elk come down into this bottom, and now they're just down in this bottom. So I'm like, all right, we can get a little closer. So we get a little closer. We get about, 
we get about probably 25 to 30 yards from where we would just be able to see over this little over this little dip right and these elk are in this bottom we could see the tops of their heads we could see the antlers also there was another bull in there that was every way bigger than mine that i shot but the bull that marty shot was was the big one but this bull if that other bull wasn't there we would have shot this bull and twice we had an opportunity to, to shoot this bull on this crawl crawl but we both looked at each other like that's that's not him like we the bull we saw twice we're like you know it's like a again i've only seen elk on on uh you know tv and shows and stuff and we're like that that's an incredible bull but that is not the bull we are after so like that was, and then, and then in your mind, you're like, well, is it, is it not? But like, we were like, no, that's not him. Like we could have shot that bull twice. So we continue this, 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 uh, this push. And all of a sudden I get to a point and I just see the top of a cow and her head starts and she's in this bottom. And I get, we get to a point where we could, we're like 30 yards from it. And I could just, just see over the top of it. And this cow makes us out. And she starts freaking doing what like a white-tailed deer, like what I what I see, I've seen them do when they like suspect something, right? They're moving their head side to side, up and down, like ears per perked up and stuff. And I'm like, oh my god, like we're fucked. And I, I told Mario, I'm like, stop, like I was like, that's it, like we can't go no further. And we're we are we are lying flat on our bellies with our chins on the ground. We couldn't get low enough. And at this point, I got Marty up next to me just in case something happened. So, so it, you know, he can shoot. He's not directly behind me. I mean, we are lying there with our chins in the ground. And I told him, like, dude, there's a cow making us out. Like, we're, you know, I don't know. We're fucked. We just got to lay here and hopefully they just ease off. Maybe they ease off and we can hunt them later in the afternoon. Or, or maybe they can eat, they'll ease off and we can continue this stock. But that's it. This is as far as we're going until the, until they, they, they figure they ease off. So. I mean, I could just pick my chin up off the ground and I could see this, this cow for like 10 minutes, right? Now, now another one's doing it. Now a third one's doing it. I'm like, Jesus. I'm like, we're fucked. So we're, we are there for 10 minutes, easily, easily 10 minutes laying there. Marty's got his gun next to him on the ground. And all of a sudden I see this, the cow, the first cow that made us out, she comes walking towards us. And now she's walking that road and comes up out of that bottom. And literally, she walks up out of that bottom. It, it was the craziest thing. She walks up out of that bottom. And now here we are laying on the ground 30 yards from this cow elk. And one cow elk comes up. Two cow elk comes up. And all of a sudden, I go, Marty, get on your gun. Get on your gun. Get on your gun. And I just see the tips of the antlers. And here this joker comes. Bro, we were lying on our bellies on the ground on the same plane of this from this elk 30 yards away and up out of this bottom here he comes and dude as soon as he comes up marty is literally like again we're laying we're, we're in the prone position on our bellies marty grabs his gun gets on his gun flips his bipods uh, open and gets on his gun and as he does that the elk kind of like they kind of startle but not really they they like trot off but they, i mean they trot like 10 yards but then stop they knew something was up, but they didn't know exactly what was going on. Exactly. And Marty at that point had his gun completely zoomed in because of the previous encounter where we almost had a shot at roughly 300 yards. So he had to get, he had to get back, you know, get off of his scope to zoom all the way out. And that elk's, that elk is, 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 uh, you know, standing there. And then all of a sudden they start to slowly move off perfectly quartering away. 
Marty shoots this elk as it's, I mean, it's walking, it's moving, and it's quartering away. It had to be 35 yards, bro. 35 yards. And boom, puts a perfect shot on this elk. And that elk acted like nothing hit him. So here, so now the whole herd's coming up out of the bottom, and they're all running, kind of, kind of quartering us and running up, st- starts to run back up this, this, this meadow and going to be up in this dark timber. And I go, I'm like, hit him again, Marty, hit him again. And for whatever re- reason, Marty seven mag only holds two rounds, which I don't understand. I hate that. I hate that. Yeah. I don't understand it. So he, he shoots him again and literally on the run, like hit him wherever Boom, he shoots him. And we thought, we, we, we thought he had missed, but he actually ended up hitting him like in the floating rib, like a little bit high. So, so I'm like, hit him again, hit him again. He's like, he's like, hand me my bullet. I said, I said what bitch, you have your bullet. <laughs> so back, backtracking, but before we started the crawl, we dropped our packs and everything. And he grabbed his extra two, uh, two bullets and stuck them in his pocket because again he only had two one in the chamber one in one in the uh, or you know one rack one in the in the damn magazine and then had two in his pocket so i'm like and i, I remember watching him have that and he again right and all all the the chaos that that ensued from all of this he, he thought i had him so he's like hand me another bullet i said bitch you got the other bullet <laughs> he reaches into his pocket there, were, there was only one bullet in his pocket so the other one fell out in in this in crawling so he reaches into his pocket racks the other racks the other uh the other round and at that time walk he that elk ended up stopping and he was probably 75 yards up on this up on the side like and he was probably 30 yards from getting into this timber and and all the cows started filing into the timber and here here is this elk and he's standing there Again, perfectly broadside, looking back at us like, what the fuck just happened? And dude, he is hit perfectly. Like Marty's first shot was perfect and blood is just pouring down this elk. Perfect. And I'm like, take your time. You're good. Like, you know, he's just standing there. And would he have died right there? Maybe. But he was standing there. And I mean, we weren't going to take that chance. And Marty has one more one more round. And sends it and absolutely folds that elk. And he shot him in the neck for the last shot. And I mean, dude, listen, he shoots. And this is the, I mean, I thought this was a 400-inch elk. I mean, it, it ended up being 356. And I mean, even even Butch, when he came up there uh, after we called him, like, he was like, I don't understand. I don't think you understand what you've just done. Like, meaning the class of bull that Marty just killed. But Marty shoots that last shot. And that elk cripples. And again, I'm laying next to Marty. And he literally like gets off his of his gun and like rolls on, on his back. And I just jump on him. And bro, we were like, fuck. Like, it, it was more me because he was exhausted. He was dead. Done. And I'm literally like rolling around wrestling this, with this guy. Like, do you understand what you've just done? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Do you understand what you've Like just freaking shaking him, dude. And he's just laying there looking up at the sky, just like, ah, oh, just freaking, you know, he starts freaking tearing up and, and it was, it was so cool. I mean, I know him and I will never forget that. Uh, and Stacy, Stacy had hung back when we started to crawl and then she, you know, she, she saw it. She had a perfect vantage point and she, uh, and she comes up and we're all hugging and, and Butch ends up making his way up there and, 
and we walk up on this elk and it is, I mean, it was in beautiful, beautiful, symmetrical. I mean, impressive ended up scoring three fifty six, probably 1100, 1200 pound animal. Um, I remember when you sent me the picture, I was like, that's a 370 bull. I mean, he was huge. Yeah. Period. Just the way we killed him on the last day, how we, how we killed him, like the stock of it, uh, using the terrain, using the undulation. And, and it was kind of cool, you know, Butch kind of just cutting us loose and, and, you know, we, we had never been out and hunted elk before, but we, you know, we understood how to hunt and we, and we did that and we freaking, it was cool, man. And it was, I know we were both proud of it. And, uh, and yeah. And then again, went back to, and that was in the morning. So we went back to camp again, gutted it, put it in the truck. That And at that point, everyone had already killed. So we called them, everyone made it out there. Uh, there was like nine of us around that elk taking pictures, just, just really soaking it up. Got the elk back to camp, um, you know, skinned them out, quartered them up, made a big breakfast. You know, I mean, the, the drinks probably, I think they were starting to get poured at around 1030, you know. Sure. Um, but for all the right reasons. And then, yeah, and it was it was awesome. And I mean, we, we were, uh, I, I ended up fly fishing on, on the lake and I was catching uh, uh, rainbow trout, uh, Marty caught a brown trout. You know, I was using old woolly booger, old purple and black mm. booger. Yeah, you know, I was trying a little dry fly. They didn't want none of that, you know. Uh, Butch, Butch, you know, the guy that's been there for 20 years, he's like, no, you got to try a woolly booger. So, I, you know, I went to the went to the local tackle shop right there. I'm not going to tell you what town it was, but. <laughs> so, <laughs> man. But, uh, you know, I got me some woolly boogers. And, and, yeah, so I was catching fat fat rainbows on fly, which was so cool to me. But, yeah, the trip, the trip was was truly incredible. We were all tagged out. Had one more night in camp. That that last night, that last afternoon before sunset, we ended up. Uh, a couple of us ended up hiking up to the top of this, uh, the top of the the mountain, kind of by camp. Where I mean, it was that it was one of the, the tallest parts of that property. And we got, I mean, it was holy moly getting up there. I mean, it was hard beating out of your damn, I mean, oh, foam, yeah. foaming at the mouth, breathing, but ended up getting up there and wow, it was breathtaking. I mean, I sat up there until sunset and as soon as that sun got behind the, got behind the, the mountain to the West of us, I mean, it dropped, it dropped freaking 15 degrees. But on top of that mountain where, where we were sitting, I was looking around and I could see that this, this one mountain range, I think it was the twin Peaks. So there's a little information for you. And, uh, also, I was looking to the south, and I could see this freaking like this big ass mountain or whatever you want to call it. And I, I'm a big Google Earth freak, so I looked on Google Earth, and I was like, because it looks so far away. I'm like, how far is that away? Turns out it was it was a it was this like mountain or whatever the hell you want to call it, like this freaking giant knoll or I, I mean, it was a mountain. It was a mountain, but but there was no other mountains around it. It wasn't like it was a range. It was just like this one mountain freaking sticking straight up looked like a damn volcano but I, we were looking at them damn it was in new mexico about 30 miles we were 55 miles away from that thing and i don't know that was just cool to me like being able to see that far and i mean looking into another state uh it was special and then you know just end up climbing down there we had another hell of a meal and we had steaks that night and the coolest maybe the coolest part of this whole trip was uh so to get all of our game back we ended up coming we ended up coming out there with with uh like five we ended up coming out there in an f-250 again four of us drove 24 hours we had five 
we had five um like big 150 type yeti coolers right we we pull up the first day and gary gary's you know meets us there when we pull up and he's like uh he's like so how do you guys plan on getting all your elk back and we were like uh you know these coolers and he laughed He's like, he's like, yeah, you could probably get one elk back with those five coolers. So we're like, shit. So we came up with the idea. We ended up renting a, a U-Haul, a, the smallest, or it was like a five by seven U-Haul, a covered U-Haul, like completely Just to pull behind yeah. the trailer. Yep. Yep. And completely enclosed. And dude, we turned that into a freaking walk-in freezer, which was really cool. We got a bunch of moving blankets and we went to the to the local grocery store in the town and freaking bought all their dry ice. And we ended up layering and, and we bought black contractor bags and we ended up putting all the meat in the in these black contractor bags. And we, we left them quartered um, and, you know, the back straps, tendon loins and the quarters. And it helped. We even brought the ribs back, too. And, dude, we we put them. We put dry ice um and black contractor bags so we put all the meat the quarters in these black contractor bags and we layered it dry ice contractor bag or excuse me dry ice moving blanket the meat in the bags moving blanket dry ice moving blanket the meat move, i mean we had like five freaking layers and dude we turned that damn u-haul into a walk-in cooler and we even we even just just for shits and giggles we even bought probably like uh 200 pounds of you know normal normal wet ice we just threw that in there as we, as we were layering uh but and then you know we started that 24-hour trek back home dude when we got back i'm talking it was like it, I mean, everything was damn near frozen solid it was incredible so it worked out perfect we got back the next day uh you know we we were able to to you know uh clean everything up, butcher everything, uh, where Marty, where Marty works and, uh, which he's, he's got a great station to do that. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was incredible. We, I'm still eating on the elk. Um, you know, I've given, I've given a bunch away, but, uh, yeah, man, it was a, it was a hell of a first elk experience. Man, I'm glad it worked out that way too. Cause I've been talking shit to you for years, trying to get you out here to come and do it the hard way, man. The, the, the public land, all the hard stuff, and you want to come do it the cushy way, you know, I'm talking shit, but well, we're going to hey, have a, we're going to have a crack at that this year. We're going to have a crack at it this year. Same time of the year. Hopefully have a very similar experience. Uh, but I can about guarantee it's going to be a little harder, uh, which there's nothing wrong with that. But, uh, you know, in saying that, if you've got any advice to somebody coming out from out East or wherever it may be somewhere where there's not elk, what advice would you give them? And what would you have done different in your preparation? So I don't, I don't know that I would have done anything different in my preparation because I did feel good, but this is what I'm going to tell you. Get your fucking ass in shape. All right. Yeah. Get your ass in shape. There's no, you, there's nothing you can do to prepare for it, but, but, but you need to, you need to be walking stairs. You need to be eating healthy. You know, you get your nutrition on point, get your hydration on point, right? Have a hydration plan. What are you going to be doing hydration wise? Cause I, I did feel great. Like I, I mean, yeah, I was huffing and puffing and, but I mean, I, I really did feel, feel great. Um, but no, man, get your, get your nutrition, your hydration and, and your, you know, be working out, be, be doing the stairs, uh, do everything, do, do, do leg exercises, right? Work out your legs, uh, do everything you can in the physical the fitness department, uh, in preparation for that. And honestly, I'm excited 
I'm excited for this year because yes, I know it will be harder. I know we'll have to put more miles on, um, but you know, I've lost right around 70 pounds now. Um, so I'm very excited to, to see that because, you know, even the little elevation we were dealing with in Nebraska while we were turkey hunting, like I felt really good. I mean, I felt really good. Yeah. You're walking, uh, you're walking even stronger this year than, than we went out and did it last year. And, uh, I would echo what you just said for, for people that want to come out here and do it, you know, especially if you're going to do it, uh, the, the tougher way, if you will, I hate to say that it's tougher, but I mean, it, those I are mean, facts, especially, especially, you know, I'm more so speaking to not being able to pull the truck up and oh, yeah. yell because, yeah. you know, I don't think if you never train with an absurd amount of weight on your back, I don't think you'll ever understand what you're in for, especially, you know, from the standpoint of the altitude, not even to mention the weight, but you put a hundred pounds on your back and you walk in Florida, it's going to be hard. So imagine putting a hundred pounds of weight on your back and you get up to 10,000 foot, wherever you may be hunting elk. And you do that up and down, up and down. And again, we've both done some brutal, very difficult things with our body. And I can just sit here and tell you, you know, packing out an animal out here in this altitude, you know, if you're not physically and probably more so mentally tough, I mean, it can just, it can straight up whoop your ass because, you know, like you said a second ago, there's not a whole lot you can do to prepare for it if you don't live out here in the altitude. But if it means enough to you, you know, there's no excuse because you can dedicate 30, 45 minutes of your day. Get your ass up earlier. Stay up a little bit later. You know, I understand work constraints and all that. But if it means that much to you, you need to be doing something. You need to be doing it regularly because, you know, the days are going to start to wear on you. You know, your first day. Even if you train hard, usually that first day is tough. I mean, it's a kick in the ass that first day. And I don't know if you realize it. I can't remember exactly how long you're out there. But the longer you're out there, I feel like you kind of acclimatize to it. it. It does become a little bit easier. But, you know, it's similar to training camp, right? You know, we train all year for it. But them first couple of days suck. I don't give a shit who you train with, what you did, how hard you went. Them first couple of days yep. suck. So, uh, yeah, I, you, I would, could uh, never, you can never replicate the 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 football work you can never replicate the strain of right it. just like just like the pack out right the strain of it the you know when you when it crosses your mind you know when you're hurting you're hurting and you look at your on x and it's like damn i got three and a half miles to the truck if you don't have the wherewithal to just say well i have no other choice but to keep going yep. you know it's it, it's not fun it's going to be a miserable experience but uh no nah, i'm so glad that that trip went that way and uh, they, all you guys were able to kill because that's super rare, man, to come out with that amount of guys and for everybody to kill. Uh, you know, I'm sure the ride back, you were wore out, but I'm sure there were so many stories being told yep. and it was a hell of a time. But uh, yeah. I'm going to end it on this because this is, you know, we, I don't think well, we've ever talked on, about it. On. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Before you end it, though, I have, a, I have a question for you. And I don't know I don't know if you'd be willing to do it again, but do you think you have the wherewithal and the grit to come down and, and go spearfishing again this summer? First off, and it's for, take, formally come down to, to and, and, and get back on island time. Do you think you, you, you'd want to do that? Do you think you could do that? I'm going to have to muster every ounce of wherewithal, grit, strain that I have to come do it. Because I ain't going to lie to you. If if I wouldn't have went with you and I ain't just shitting you, I probably was, I was halfway bitched out on getting in the water. I mean, just seeing the sharks in the water and all that. And then, matter of fact, I don't know if we've, we've talked about this point yet, but I was tending the boat. Because y'all were diving in like 30, 40 foot of water. So I'm tending the boat. And y'all would pop up. Well, get over here. Get over here. There's a reef shark. And I'm like, what? Y'all are swimming around this. Yeah, he's just, 
Yeah, he's been a little a little aggressive. What what are we talking about? <laughs> so I'm all freaked out about that shit, man. And uh, but to to answer your question, man, I'd love to get down there and do it because again, it's there's something to be said about putting yourself in situations where you're uncomfortable, right? And I think that's what separates. Uh, how do I put this very bluntly? You know, people that are mentally strong and people who aren't, because you got to continue to put yourself in situations where you're not comfortable to uh, continue to cultivate that mental toughness and continue to grow. Uh, and yeah, man, I definitely would love to come down there and do it again, because again, and I've said it a thousand times, that trip that we took to, to the Bahamas, man, I think about it at least weekly, because it's something I never thought I'd do literally from the standpoint of mentally saying, yeah, I'll jump in there and do it because until that point, I had never been in the ocean past my knees. I mean, it's just not, it's not my environment. Right. But you know, spearfishing is underwater hunting. And if I want to think of myself as, as a, a hunting conqueror, if you will, and want to do all this stuff, it's like, well, I mean, why not do it? You know, surrounded by good buddies, guys, you trust guys, you know, that have put their life on, on the line to try to protect you from whatever the fuck's in there. You know, that, that helped a lot, but yeah, man, uh, I think I can muster the wherewithal to get down there and do that again. All right. Well, we'll have to, we'll have to figure out some dates. Also, so, the other thing we forgot to talk about was uh, I, I just recently officiated one of my buddy's weddings. And you talk about un- talking about mental toughness, right? You talk about uncomfortable that, you know, that was uh, actually something that was a little uncomfortable for me. I mean, I public, you know, I'll public speak. I've got up and talked to the team and stuff like that. And I've been in front of the media and, and, uh, but, but, uh, first of all, it was a great honor that he asked me and, and it was a challenge. It was something that was very uncomfortable, but I've always believed that the greatest growth in life, you know, comes from persevering through those times of uncomfort. So I took that challenge on and, and that was actually last weekend. And, it was amazing. It was, it was fucking so cool. I'm so happy and proud. I'm proud that I was able to do that. I was happy for the opportunity for the challenge because it was what I needed in my life and where I was at. And it was the first thing outside of football that, that scared me and that got me excited and got me working towards something. So, uh, to my buddy, Luis, thank you. And, and who knows, uh, look out, I might be officiating weddings for now on, you know, I might, uh, I'm looking for a job. So maybe I'll become a officiate, you know? Now, and here's the thing to, to people that haven't stood in front of, of a room full of people and talk, maybe it doesn't sound like that big of a deal. Oh, you're just standing up there talking. Listen, get your ass up there and get the lights on you. And you got everybody looking at me at, at you. And, and, you know, you tell me, you know, how you feel about it, because I, I guarantee you, you're not going to be as comfortable with it uh, as you think you are. And that comes with reps. And the fact that you did it without the reps I mean, that's, that's commendable to get up there in a room full of, however, it don't matter if it's five people or a hundred people, you know, just to get up there in front of that amount of people. And, and not to mention 98% of those people you've never seen in your life. Right. You know, to get up there and stand up in front of them and talk. And that's just another thing. Like we said, putting yourself in an uncomfortable position. Cause I remember when you called me and told me that you had the opportunity, I was like, woo, like, all right, this is, this is the real deal. You know, getting up, officiating the wedding, that's, that's the real deal. That takes some cojones. That takes some mental toughness, some grit, some wherewithal. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you went through it and you killed it, which, you know, is a testament to like we talked about the mental toughness. Yep. And, uh, you know, this will be the last topic here and it's a good one. Uh, so, you know, we're both retired to hunt, right? Both retired NFL players and, you know, not a whole lot of people. It's kind of an esoteric thing. Yeah. Esoteric. Look that word up. Uh, it's kind of an esoteric thing for people to hear about, you know, the NFL, right? It's such a small niche of people that ever, you know, get to participate in it, right? And 
not a lot of people know anything about it. All they know about it is what they see on TV, right? That's that's all they know about it. You know, I say all that to say, uh, you know, when you retired, what exactly was there like a moment when you just knew like, you know what, my time has come and like what what made you finally make that decision? Yeah. Um I told you it was a good one. Yeah, <laughs> I told you it was a, a good one. It's a great question. And you know, I had been I played eight years and I had I, I would say that last year and a half, you know, was pretty tough. I mean, the year before was the COVID year, so that was very isolating. Um, you know, I didn't have my, my core group of people around me that I could, that, you know, in years past, I was able to, uh, you know, I was able to unplug and, and just be a normal guy. And, and I don't know, just a lot of things that was going on in my life. Um, I had an idea that I was, that sometime soon I was going to be done. I was going to, I was going to retire. Um, but I don't think it was until, so I played my last year, my eighth year, and got into that off season and then it was like you know i had one more year on my contract and and um i just didn't i i didn't have any i didn't have the motivation to start working out you know normally i would start working out in like late january early february right and uh my wife and i were on our on our vacation Uh, we had a great vacation and it was like early march and i still had yet to work out and she was like, you know, that's like, cause you know, trying to mentally wrap my head around this decision. And at that point it it got, it became a little bit more real, um, just with what was going on with the team. And, you know, she was like, dude, you haven't, you have yet to work out. Like that's pretty telling. And I, you know, I was like, shit, you're right. I mean, I, I didn't, I I was, I I was, I was ready to move on. I really was. Uh, I had gotten, I had got to a place where it was no longer fun for me. And maybe that was the situation that we were in with the coach that we had at the time and, and not being successful. Yeah. That guy was a clown. Uh, <laughs> I could talk for hours about that, sure. but uh, you know, that, that was very upsetting that last year just because of, of the culture that he created. Um, but um, you know, it's just where I was at. Like I, it, it was the, it was the right move for me. And at the time it was very difficult. And at the time I, I, it was hard to understand, but I think the Brandon Linder, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, we'll look back and and be like, you know, that was the right decision, right? It was, it was time to preserve the body and the brain. I had, I had climbed to the mountaintop and I lived there at the peak for as long as I've wanted to. Right. Um, and until I said when, and that was always something that I took pride in. That was always something, you know, how, how I wanted to end my career. So to be able to do it on my terms, um, you know, it was, it was cool. It was, it was full circle. And to be able to do it with the same team, I mean, I, that was kind of something that I did, uh, you know, strategically, like I love Jacksonville. I, I, I would like to live there my whole, my whole life. Um, you know, I have so many great relationships and, and so many, uh, you know, so much, you know, I put down a lot of roots there. And so like, you know, being able to retire a Jaguar and, you know, kind of, there hasn't been many life, uh, lifetime players, lifers there. So, you know, I want to do stuff in the community. I want to, I want to go back and do stuff with the Jaguars. I don't know, whatever that was. So it, it all, it all kind of showed itself that off season after my, after my eighth year. And, and yeah, I, I just, I came down to the decision and it was fucking gut wrenching, man. It really was. 
it was truly gut wrenching um, to have to make that decision and to have to make it knowing, you know, I, I probably could, could squeak out another two, three years. No question. Yeah. It's like, I'm, I'm leaving a lot of money on the table. That was another big deal for me. And, and, but once you put all that aside and, and once you really start to, to, you know, go through, it really matters. Like that, that was the glaring best decision that I could have made. And um, yeah. And once I, it's funny, like I never in that whole process of like, you know, truly like three months when I was really like, all right, like I'm probably going to retire. Like I'm going to retire. I never said it out loud. So when I, when I finally called the GM and, and I made that, I made that call and I told him my decision to retire like, you know, and he, he was so happy and he was great through this whole process. Trent Balky, I mean, he, I mean, he was awesome. And, uh, and when, when I hung up the phone, I was actually in Chiefland, just me and Chum, my dog, my black lab. And I just remember I got off the phone and it was, it was, it was, it was, it was I think Monday morning. And I just started, I was in the middle of the woods. I just started screaming at the top of my lungs. I'm retired. I'm fucking retired. And I had, I had yet to say it out loud before. So it was like this real, like emotional, uh, you know, just, just letting go. And like, and that was, you know, the first step of of this whole journey I've been on post-retirement. Uh, so yeah, so I don't know if that answered your question, but, but, um, yeah, I mean that last, that last year I kind of, I kind of had an idea. And then the last couple of months leading up to the actual decision, um, I knew, I knew it was time and, and I could have kept going. I I could have, but I wouldn't have been happy. Um, I would have kept risking injury. I mean, I've already done so much to my body and to my brain, you know, again, like I, I just think it was time to stop the bleeding and preserve the body and the brain and, and, and like, see what's next. Like what, that's the beautiful part of, of life, right? I mean, the secret to life is knowing when to leave. I mean, that that's applicable to any situation, right? at the bar or at the restaurant or, uh, even in the gym too long, right? It's time to leave. Right. I mean, even in the, in the relationship that that's been going too long, Hey, it's time to leave. Right. So it was just my time and, and I, I bowed out gracefully and yeah. And now I'm trying to figure it out. And last year, last year was beautiful. Last year was amazing. Last year was great. I got to do all these trips. I got to all, do all these trips that I, that I couldn't do before the elk hunt that we just talked about and stuff. But also I had a really tough time during football season. I really did. I mean, I, I told you about it. I talked with you about it, but I badly wanted to be out there. I badly wanted to be, you know, it, part of me was sad because my career didn't line up with Trevor Lawrence because I truly believe in that kid and he is so special and there will be a Super Bowl in Jacksonville because of that kid. And it's like, you know, so, so I, it was just, it was, it was tough. It really was knowing I could be out there, knowing I could be right, there, but I'm, but I'm not. So so yeah, but but I'm I'm every day, you know, only time's going to heal this and and uh just kind of figuring out who who the uh you know, who Brandon Linder is outside of football, right? Creating this best version of myself and that's it's going to be an ongoing process and that's I I look forward to it and I I I you know, look to accept that challenge and I mean the greatest room is the room for improvement and just and don't knock on that door, fucking kick it down, right? So uh that's what I intend to do. I'll tell you what, man, and uh as it pertains to me, man, I just echo pretty much everything that, uh, that you just said. Uh, you know, I remember that last year I was telling you before we hunted ducks, I was like, Hey bro, I'm pretty sure I'm about through. Like, I just, I, it's kind of like what you said about the motivation thing. And 
I'm not looking for excuses, but maybe it was what we were dealing with, with, with the, with the coach that we was, you know, that we're talking about here, that the culture that was created there. And we're not talking about, it wasn't that there was a, a toxic culture uh, created by the team. The team was great. There's dudes in that, in that room that I would say, I love man. And, uh, you know, just the, the, the toxic culture there that was created uh, due to uh, several different things, uh, you know, maybe that led to it. But I think the biggest thing was is just the motivation and the thought of or lack of motivation and the thought of I want to do something else, man. Like, I'm just I, I'm, I'm good on it. And, you know, I don't know if you had believed me, you know, because I kind of said it half ass joking. I didn't left. you know, and but I was just like, yeah, like my, my time has come, you know, and like you said, listen. Can I have played some more years? Sure, absolutely. But, you know, there's something to be said about, number one, going out on your own terms and preserving the brain and body because it doesn't get a whole lot more violent than playing uh, offensive line in the National Football League. I mean, I don't think people understand it because it's such an unglorified position. And, again, it's one of those positions that unless you know it, you don't really understand what's going on and you don't really understand the violence and the speed of, of which it's happening. Uh you know, so that that thought was there too, preserving the body, because I knew there was more to Josh Walker than, than football, right? Now, did I love football? Yeah, you've got to love football to play at that at that level. Uh, you know, could I've kept going? Yeah, sure, I could have kept going. Uh, but you know, honestly, I think one of the big things that you know was half-assed keeping me in was, well, shit, are people gonna think I was a shitty player if I didn't play for ten years? Like, is that? You know, like, damn, are people going to think I wasn't very good because I played for 10 years? Well, who gives a shit what people think, right? I can tell you this right now. None of you motherfuckers are going to line up and get past me. That's all I know. You can think what you want to think, but ain't nobody going to line up and get past me. So, you know, point being is just echoing what you said. Everybody's time comes. My time came when it did. Your time came when it did. And, you know, I've been out for some years now. I'm very happy with where I'm at. And like you said, you know, as time goes by, I think you're going to to be there as well if you aren't there yet. And, uh, yeah, I can remember last year, man, you were going through it, and, and I went through it as well. You know, you cut on a game, especially with the team you previously played for, and you're like, damn, I was supposed to be there. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, and I think it's sad to see guys when their time does come and they don't and they don't uh, listen to that and oh. they don't recognize it and they, they hang on too long. And I think – then it's like it becomes almost sad because it's like, well, you there must, you know, there isn't this identity outside of football. This is all you have, and and you know, there's countless players that have done that, and it's like they have these Hall of Fame careers, yet they stick around too long, and it's like, you know, I I, I just think there's something to be said at going out, you know, on your own terms, and and when when you truly believe so, and hey, maybe they they didn't believe so, but you you know what I'm saying? Like I just some guys stay too long. Let me ask you this. What what do you miss the most? I mean, I miss the locker room. Uh, I truly do. I miss the locker room. Uh, I honestly, I miss the, I I miss the fucking grind of it. I, I sickly do. I sickly miss the violence of it. Putting my hands on another grown man and breaking his will, moving him from A to B. You know, I can't do that because because uh, you know Joe Shit the Ragman's gonna gonna throw a lawsuit at me if if I, if I do that, you know obviously I would never do that unless there was a cause. But <laughs> but yeah. but no, I mean just being being able to have that outlet. Where I mean we are we are violent. We are violent human beings. It's just ingrained in us. And and uh, yeah, I was try- I mean I saw a really cool quote the other day. I'm trying to think about it. Oh, it oh, God. 
it was it was something along the lines of if only you knew the violence it took to be this peaceful Ooh, and that leads me to this a lot of the good ones that i've been around the good ones are great ones obviously they are vicious violent people but in a normal setting where that's not needed they're what i would call a light switch guy i mean you would think this dude just a happy-go-lucky ha 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 this and that but when shit hits the fan ain't nobody you want on your side more you know what i mean and to me you know that's that's the sign of the good ones you don't have to be a fuck you type of a guy all the time you know when, when it's unnecessary but i do think and i do respect guys that you know if there is something that that happens when when that side needs to come out it can happen very quickly you know what i mean uh and again i think that's a sign of of the good ones is being able to compartmentalize needing to be the guy that's on the field or you know the guy that's giving the speech at a wedding right yep but uh before i let you go man let me ask you this what are your uh you got any cool hunts coming up any new shit any new species or anything uh, so, I mean, for me, turkey season's over. Um, now I'll be fishing. I'll be fishing a bunch. Um, I got a trip coming up uh, next week, next weekend to uh, Bimini. We're going to be there for four days, kind of do the same dive in, and uh, we're going to be deep dropping and doing some tuna fishing. Uh, and then uh, <clears throat> we're going to be going to the Dry Tortugas, Pulley Ridge, which is another freaking. I mean, remote, remote, remote spot. Uh, got a couple trips in the Gulf uh, with my buddy Mark and his freaking incredible fleet of boats that he has. Um, I know my buddy Luis and I, we're going to try and get down to the Tortugas, like I said. So it's just going to be a bunch of fishing, a bunch of, uh, you know, Bahamas, maybe Venice, Louisiana, uh, the Gulf, Destin, uh, Dry Tortugas. You know, I'll be doing a lot of work at the farm. That's this summer, you know, now until August, there'll be a lot of work done at the farm on the skid steer using the mulch and head, the different implements, just trying to do everything I can to increase that habitat for the, for the wild turkey and for the white tail. Um, and then, and then scallop season too, you know, we'll, we'll, while I'm at the farm doing that work, we'll go scallop in on the, on the Gulf coast, which is a really cool, super easy. One of the easiest things you could do. I mean, drink out, bring a, bring a boat grill, grilling out. You're in freaking, this, see, this is, this is up your alley. You're, we're, we're in like three to six feet of water and you're just snorkeling Ooh. around picking up scallops in these, in these, uh, in these grass beds. So that, that, and it's just a fun thing to do. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty much what's coming up. I mean, this fall, you know, I'm hoping I get, I haven't checked my email, but I'm hoping my, I get my Kansas tag. Um, I got invited to go out to Missouri to deer hunt. Uh, yeah. Elk hunt with you. Um, yeah. Whatever else pops up. Hopefully we can find a mule deer tag somewhere. I mean, we'll either here in Nebraska, something get out, try to get you a mule deer. I'd be sick too. Yeah. That'd be cool. I would enjoy that. Yeah. Well, Brandon Linder, I appreciate your time, man. Uh, it's always a fun time. I'm sure everybody looks forward to when you get on. And uh, before we take off, man, I just want to say again, man, thanks to these companies that have showed love to me. I got to show love to them, man. You know, King's Camo, Vortex, Apex, Kafaru, Iron Will, Title Knives, Tacticam, man. They've been very good to me. Very appreciative of them. Very appreciative of you guys listening. And uh, until next time, man, thanks for listening to Retired Hunt.